Project Sapient is a podcast meant to engage our brothers and sisters in law enforcement and military communities in conversations that we all know we need to have. All opinions you'll hear are our own, are protected by our First Amendment of the United States Constitution, and in no way reflect or are meant to reflect the opinion of any specific agency, officer, or service member. Some opinions may be controversial. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. Project Sapient. I hope you can hear me. We're at a bar right now in Cleary's, downtown in Boston, Massachusetts. We have our event today. We have a lot of people showing up. We have a bunch of sponsors. First of all, thank you for making us the number one law enforcement and military podcast on the planet. We love you. Any kind of questions, any kind of feedback, Project Sapien 2020 at gmail.com. We want to thank our supporters, VectorShields.com, Jim Junkies, Havoc Journal, Live Boston 617, WellnessForWarriors.live, OD Kit, Eagle Eye Firearms MA, Gun Track, and HuleLaw.com. We also want to thank. We have a very special guest starting the show, Christopher Palmier. We, he's uh, from where? Talk, Chris. So, everybody listening should, should may recognize us from the Weekly Havoc. Yes. Which is a roundtable discussion featuring the staff and writers at Havoc Journal, which I'm has been on multiple times now. Two, three times? I can't remember how many. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So if you guys don't mind, we're going to do this as kind of a Marvel DC crossover where where I might just put this out as well. But um, yeah, thanks for inviting me in on this. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So we have a bunch of organizations here. We have Home Base, Joint Operation, 22 Mohawk, Second Mission, and of course Havoc Journal, which we love Havoc Journal more than anybody. Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So go for it, man. Chris, tell us a little bit about what you guys do, what you're doing, whatever you want to talk about. So um, I'm going to do a couple of plugs, if you don't mind, to start off with. So uh, obviously people that already listen to the Weekly Havoc kind of know where we're coming from. Uh, Havoc Journal is a great resource for veterans and military law enforcement veterans. It doesn't matter. Um, We kind of treat everybody as same, same. Letting people write, and I think that's the biggest piece, is making sure that vets have an avenue to communicate. Expressing themselves. Expressing themselves, and not just for therapeutic reasons, although that is a big part of it. Sure. But a lot of it is also, look, there is a civ mill divide, and Charlie Faint, the owner of Havoc Journal, who's on yes. the Weekly Havoc all the time with me, we talk about this frequently. There is a huge gap in the civilian military. There is. Right? The oh, civilian there military is. Divide. It's amazing. And, and a lot of this is education. Um, you can't expect people, you know, who don't do this for a living to, know. to suddenly to know and yeah. to appreciate it. So there is a lot uh, of education that, that we hope filters out through that avenue. Weekly Havoc is the first podcast of Havoc Journal. We'll see if there's a second one. Yeah. I don't know. If I keep drinking, there may not be. Um, <laughs> that might just kill the entire enterprise. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're really happy, and we've been going at it uh, far far more frequently, uh, or far more recently, I should say, than you guys. We're much newer to the podcast space. And, uh, yeah, it's been great, and we really appreciate having you guys on. I should say, on our Podbean page, you guys are 
one of the only two podcasts that we follow. <laughs> you guys and Jocko. Yes. So there's, yeah, there's, there a, there's a very incestuous connection. <laughs> I like it. This military law enforcement uh, podcasting community. Yeah. I love it. No, that, that's the thing. Like you know, so when I when I uh, when I'm on with Chris and and he brings me on, it, he asks these tough questions and and it really forces you to think, like in habit fashion. You know where where we do ask the tough questions, where where you know you really get into the psyche of you know PTSD and, and what veterans have gone through at war, and and that's and me writing for Havoc and, and Charlie give me that opportunity to write has been therapeutic because yeah. Yeah. some of my writings kind of tapped into deep you know into the psyche to kind of work out whatever I got going on. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's yeah. actually very therapeutic for me. And, and Charlie, you know, Havoc Journal gives you that ability to just put it out there. I appreciate you saying that. And I mean, you know, I really appreciate you talking about the psyche aspect. I, I think Havoc Journal does do punditry. Yeah. And that there's a place for that. And that's sure. awesome. But it's also important to look at the individual and yeah. the actual stories. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's fictional. It doesn't mean it's going to be poetry. But it also doesn't need to be hard news and punditry and opinion. Yeah. It can all, And I think what the Weekly Havoc tries to do on our show is we try to, and part of the reason why I get those questions that sometimes stop the show and its tracks, <laughs> for better or for worse, is because we're trying to get to the individual. Yeah. And what is that individual experience that hopefully we can extrapolate and provide to a civilian audience that they'll appreciate, understand, be able to internalize a little bit yes. and and hopefully bridge that gap a little bit more. Yes. Uh, th that's the thing. Even even with Project Safety, you know, like with our podcast, with law enforcement, yeah. bridging that gap or trying to bridge that gap and talking about some of these things that happen in law enforcement that no one ever hears about right. because we're such an insulated society, yeah. just like you yeah. know, with the military, yeah. we're an insulated society where everything that we do is just nice and quiet right. and we do it ourselves. But in reality, it also affects everybody else around us. A hundred percent. And I also think what you guys have, the, the particular mountain that you guys are climbing is a steep one yeah. because, look, every community, every profession has its own standards, sure. its own stories, yes. its own internal culture. The yes. problem is the three of us don't look around here and go, yeah, I could be a stockbroker. We don't look around and go, yeah, I could be a judge. Right. But everybody goes, well, hey, this cop should have done this. Yeah. You know? Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, we, we don't yeah. presume to, to, right. to necessarily think that we could do other people's jobs, but everybody wants to be an armchair quarterback. Exactly. When it comes to law enforcement and, and even to a lesser extent, military matters. Hey, why didn't you guys just invade this place? Or why didn't we just pull out then? Yeah. And it's like, well, there's reasons behind it. Yeah, Everybody's exactly. got an opinion. Whose do you want, the, the pilots or just the passengers? Exactly. You know, well, and I, that's the big difference. I think the uh, – so I, I recently did a podcast with um, some psychologists and stuff like that talking about – uh, you know, social workers with with law enforcement oh, and, yeah. and how that works. Those and, teams and that they're putting exactly out there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think a forensic psychologist put it best. He said these types of ideas are great. You're thirty thousand feet, yep. you know, thirty thousand yep. feet up in the air, looking down as a therapist, psychologist, whatever. Sure. Like you know, all these good idea fairies that come down. It's great, but. I also, you know, for him, he's like, I love hearing from the boots on the ground because you guys are the ones. It's a sanity check. It's a completely exactly. different perspective. It's yeah. a different perspective because we kind of put the reality in whatever policy or ideas that they have. Right. And depending on who it is, whether it's therapists, doctors, uh, politicians, 
they don't like to hear that. <laughs> you know as well yeah, as I do. Yeah, yeah, right. you guys they don't like to right. hear it because it's also an insult to a lot of their egos too, right? Yeah. Like. They think that they're the smartest. They think that they're the most educated. They, they're they're going to look, yeah, just because you're boots on the ground, you know better than I do. No, yeah. I'm a politician. Well, yeah. I'm a also, senator. Also, though, I mean, again, I'm playing armchair psychiatrist on the politicians. <laughs> and, but I, I also think there's a part of it where it's uncomfortable them, for them to know too much. Right. So, ignorance is not just bliss, but it's also politically savvy. Yeah. Sometimes yep. you don't want to look too deeply into an issue because it's easy to say, yeah, just shoot them in the leg. Right? Yeah. That's a much yeah. easier answer. Yeah. And if you really start to examine it and do forensics on that, you can start to go, ah, okay, I'm going to confront my own base now with this. Yeah. And that's going to be a difficult and uncomfortable conversation. And that's not what politicians are in it for. No. Here's the thing. Like, like one thing that, you know, myself and Pete, we, we harp on because this is the reality of it. With, with an officer-involved shooting or any type of shooting that, that occurs between whether it's the military or even law enforcement, is that there's a physiological and biological aspect that happens that most civilians do not, will never understand in their yeah. lives. Yeah. You know, we, we all know it. We all know what goes on in our heads or in others' heads where it's not a Monday morning quarterback for us. Right. For us, it's more like all right, what got you there? Like, okay, we get it. Like, you know, it, it's like a, a very big understanding on why a human acted a certain way. And and again, I go back to the whole 80-20% with law enforcement and military. Yep. What was it, 0.45% is what we kind of figured out with the amount of uh, people that are in the military compared to the U.S. population. I think, yeah, I think, something like if that. If I remember like correctly. 0.06 or something, yes, I can't remember. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. So, yeah. so less than 1% of the yeah. U.S. You know, population is in the military doing that fight. Sure. You know, 20 years of war. We knew, you know, it's funny, I, I was having a conversation recently with somebody who told me, like, when you guys went, you know, post 9-11, you guys knew you were going to war. I said, well, yeah. Right. That's why we signed up. Right. You know, especially What was the point of that? What do you mean? Well, because what the point was that, well, what it was was and before, it was all about college and, you know, doing that and getting sure. money for college sure. and stuff like that. September right. 11th happened, that changed. Yeah. And you had some of the old, older timers, not so much old timers, even prior 9-11, what ended up happening is all of a sudden you got into the whole, oh, I didn't sign up for this. Right. Yeah, you did. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, you did. Well, you can, I, can I just sidebar for yeah, a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The books that came out after that, I remember the sob stories that we would hear from oh, this guy, this poor guy joined the National Guard for college benefits and now is being sent to Iraq. Hey, motherfucker. Like, okay, you signed well, up for you it. Signed up for, like, <laughs> you knew this was a, a possibility. Yeah. Maybe you didn't know 9-11 was going to happen. But, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. My, my empathy runs very dry for that. Oh, yeah. I'm like, right. hey, hey, man, you're there for the fight, and I get it. Yeah. The horror stories about Premob and, oh, man, our Humvee flip because nobody knew how to drive it because <laughs> this was early on. Got it. Tracking. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was a shit show. Everybody was, we hadn't done war on yeah. this level before and oh, in yeah. a long time. No. So, got it. it. It was rough. But whether or not the cause was worth it, whether or not you were sold out because you signed the dotted line in 1999 and now we're being called to account for it, Hey, man, look, if you don't have a full-spectrum grasp on what you're signing for exactly. as a free agent in, in pre-war, 
I, I, I don't that, have to tell with me. Before. Like we're an all volunteer army. There's no no one forces you to do anything. No one forces you to go special forces. No one forces you to go. You know, seventy fifth ranger. And the economy doesn't force you either. Exactly. And which is something that everybody likes to say. Oh, it's just exactly. the poor that are going to war. The hell it is. No, there I, are I, broke dudes, but it ain't that ain't the, the demographic. Exactly. And I've met some really successful uh, individuals that went into the military, went into the army, whatever it is. Because they found the calling, though. That's right. To them, it was a calling. Like to me, that's the way I grew. You know, when I, after 9/11, as a, as an Arab American, I was like, dude, that's my calling. Hell no. You know, not on my watch. And, and I hope you don't give that. I mean, I'm sure you've talked about it on your show before, but yeah. I know you talked about it on our show. I love your 9/11. Let's call it the origin story. Yeah. Because I, I think it, I think it's an important one. I think it's it's an eminently American one. Yeah. You know that people need to relate to. Like again, to me, like I'm like, well, you know what? Yeah. I'm an American, uh, you know, uh, Bush or whoever was, yeah, Bush at the time said, sure, we need help, we need to go and fight the enemy. I was like, absolutely, 100%. You answered the call. going and answered the call. Right. I was one of the ones, I'll never forget, after 9-11, I was one of the ones outside my dad's gas station with the American flag waving it. Right. Like, after 9-11, and I, like, at that point, I was like, yeah, I need to join the fight. There's no reason for me to sit back and relax while others are fighting the fight that I should be fighting, me as, as, as an Arab, I was like, no, this is my fight because I need to go over there and take care of the enemy, who, the real enemy, you know. And, and could, can I just mention something yeah. you and I were talking about offline beforehand? Yeah. Uh, when the drinks were starting to flow. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. What but, drinks? Yeah, 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 yeah what yeah, drinks? Yeah. yeah, my milk. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think it was a really important point that, you, that we brought up. Um, one of us, I can't remember who. Um, when you said... There's to conflate anti-Americanism with anti-partisanship. Yeah. So if you hate the guy in office, that should not be enough of a cause to hate America. No. And I think what you and I saw in the Bush years yes. was people hated Bush, and that started to fuel extremism in the country just because people wanted to score domestic political points against Bush. Yes. And 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 tar America with really partisan complaints. Yes. And and the same thing applies, I suppose, for Obama years and yep. Trump years. Of course. And years. And and that to me is a dangerous conflagration. Very you cannot, dangerous. You cannot bring those two together. Exactly. And you have to understand there's levels, and as we kind of joke, there's levels to your hatred of America. Yes. You can hate the president. Right. But that doesn't mean that you necessarily side with Khomeini. Exactly. Exactly. Like, exactly. exactly. There's a reasonability brain. aspect exactly. to it. So, totally. Here's yeah. what's funny. So I, I listened to an interview by Bill Maher, right? Yep. And, and I, I, yeah, this blew me away. Exactly. So I, I told Pete about it. And I listened to this interview. He's talking on his show. He was talking about how, yes, I may hate whoever, president, congress, whatever it is. But in the end, for him personally, after like what he saw that happened in the fall of Kabul and Afghanistan. Yeah. He said it really hit him at home when the Taliban executed a journalist uh, who would speak out against the Taliban. And he was like, you know what? I'm here sitting in this desk where I can say whatever I want about the U.S. government. I'm not getting executed. And not get hung in the middle of the fucking street. Bill Maher, who is a staunch Bush critic, anti-Trump critic, 
anti every anti, anti everything everything um, early, especially early on uh, yes. after 9/11 and he and he drew a line. He said there were 9/11 liberals who he called like Dennis Miller and all yes. that who then became very right wing. And he said, yes. well, I'm I'm not like that. And he stayed line. What's interesting is that he hasn't changed his position too much. It's that the world has changed on him where now he sounds very right wing. Yeah. But he really hasn't changed. His I, position stays the same where, hey, I'm a liberal guy. I believe in liberal values. And now that's become persona non grata in a lot yeah. of quarters, which I find semi-disturbing. But it is funny because he does make seem to make more and more sense it, when it, you compare him to the rest of pop culture now. Exactly. And, and that's the thing he said. He said he is very grateful for being in the U.S. Yeah. to be able to yeah. speak out in his platform without getting executed. Like this journalist that did, that got executed in Afghanistan when the Taliban took over, and to him it was like, I think to him it was like a uh, redefining moment or crystallizing moment to know where he actually is. And, and listen, uh, it, it can't happen too soon and it can't happen too much. Yeah. Because it, and he is, he's an incredibly articulate guy. Yeah. I disagree with him on almost everything he believes over the years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. he's an incredibly articulate guy. And for him to have those moments of clarity and be able to convey them articulately the yeah. way he does, I do think is a really powerful moment. And I hope that is capitalized. Do you that, think, not, not to play the naysayer, but do you think it's genuine? I do. You do? I, I, I do. do. And, I do, and I'll actually. tell you why. I'll t- yeah. I think it's because he's a comic. And I think he's noticing as a comic, my, tra- my you traffic in freedom of speech as a comic. Okay. You traffic. I could like, see. Yep. Like it, it was one thing to talk about censorship when you're talking about the Bible Belt in the 1990s. Right. Yeah. The Bible Belt's not gonna do shit about yeah. what you're saying. Yep. It's yep. another thing though to go, holy shit. Look what's happened to Salman Rushdie. Look what happened to Ayan Hirsi Ali. Yes. Look what happened to dissidents who mouthed off about the wrong people in other parts of the world. Yes. And go, if that, if any of that starts to come to my neck of the woods, I'm going to be in real trouble. And, yes. and my, and, and I think that's that's justified and realistic and appropriate. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. And, and and that's the thing I saw in his eyes, right? That's why yeah. I, I say it's genuine, because I saw it in his eyes where he was being very genuine about his response to the journals that happened in Afghanistan, because he actually started to realize that he's very fortunate in the position that he's in, because he's not getting executed, or yeah. he's not getting hung in, in Times Square or whatever. Well, and, and even, uh, if I can pull it back even further, further from from just Bill Maher himself, I think there's a real reckoning that this country has to do when the people, when the only barrier between homosexuals, women's rights, uh, uh, leaders, um, dissident leaders is military force. Yes. And that puts a cognitive dissonance in what so many Americans have been raised with. Americans from high school age or even beyond before that have really been raised by the generation from the 60s. Yes. Where war is evil, peace is good. And that binary, that 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 kind of sense of moral clarity is actually very misleading. Yes. And I think people have realized, hold on, war actually does do a lot of good if it's fought for the right reasons. Exactly. Right. Right. And for those people that have been taught by let's I mean let's just be blunt aging hippies yes. have been taught hey homosexuals should be respected yep women should be respected and equal for them to grasp that but then go but wait the only way to bring that about is through violence of action <laughs> and overwhelming force 
that has put a real bug in the ointment there. Yep. And I think that's something that people need to wrap their heads around. That, And I, I hate to say this because this sounds super hokey, but the best pop culture parallel I think that's ever been done on this was Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. The Two Towers, yeah. with that middle movie where um, Sean Astin gives that speech and he says, some things are worth fighting for. Yes. And I think it's important for people to, in America to look and go, what is worth fighting for? Yes. We certainly have the the muscle and the will to fight. Antifa is willing to fight. Black Lives Matter is willing to fight. Right. But what is it we're willing to fight for? And are we willing to fight for the values that we profess? Yeah. And if so, now's the time. Yes. Because what's going on in Afghanistan, as I, I talked about on the show with you, yep. Iman, yep. you know, that's going to follow us home. Oh, Af- is. Afghanistan, does, that is not an isolated um, uh, area. That has been the crossroads of the world for centuries. And it's been the crossroads for a lot of bad juju recently. And will continue to be, especially with what, us not there. Exactly. And if they, and what worries me more than anything is I hope that Americans have the testicular fortitude to back their own ideals when we, and I, I hate to say this, and, and I hope I'm wrong, but if and when there's another 9-11, because we're no there longer will, there, there, there will be. Then, I think so. Then, there then, will then, be. So, then I hope we have the fortitude to stand up and say, we got to go back in there as bloody as that's going to be, and I worry that we won't. I worry that we'll say, you know, nothing is worth war. And yeah. that, to me, scares the hell out of me, because if you're not willing to fight and die for the American ideals, which are, by the way, and I'm sorry, I'm soapboxing a little bit here, but if you'll bear <laughs> yeah, with no, me. I no, of course. No, no, no keep going. If, if, if we're not willing, if, if we need to understand these aren't just American ideals. Yeah. These are human ideals. They are. They're right sapient. People to, to, they are. To, human, sapient. To coin a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. Mean, but, I mean, you, to, to practice your own religion, to have your own freedom of thought, freedom of association. Yes. Th- these, are, these are fundamental human rights. Rights. And yep. if we're not willing to fight for that, God help us, because I don't know who else will. Well, uh, here, here's the thing, like, with me, and, and you bring up a great point, and, and one of the questions when you asked me you know, on, on the Weekly Havoc, and it was a great question that you had, is war just? Yeah. That was a great, great question to ask me, and I had to think, and that's when I realized, just like what you were saying, there are times where violence of action needs to be done. I'll never forget when ISIS rolled through some of the very same provinces that I fought for, yep. we fought yeah. for, yeah. and they were rolling through, and they were throwing homosexuals off buildings. Sure, sure. We fought for that freedom for them, for the you know homosexuals, whoever, transgender, whoever, whatever it is, we fought for them to be able to have a voice. And when ISIS rolled through and they're throwing them off the buildings, I'm like, everything that we what just did we just for, fight for? Yeah, like, what did exactly? I, you know, like I said, well, I, I got, I got, you know, bands of friends of, right. of on, on, on my hand of, of died and, and, and were killed, and it's like we fought for them to be able to have that freedom to. Express themselves. Well, to be an individual. Exactly. To, to be, because, because to be West, a human being. Yeah. yeah. In the West, and this is this is something that again, I, I think, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna try to be as vague as I can because I don't want to out somebody <laughs> yeah. unnecessarily. But we have a family friend, nice guy, teaches high school, and has asked me offline. And to his credit, he's asked. He hasn't tried to tell, but he said. Um, Hey, what, what, what exactly is the problem with Iran? Yeah. Why is that? Why, why is what they talk about bad? Yeah. Why are, why are they an enemy of ours? 
and I think there's an inability on a lot in a lot of Americans' minds, and it yes. scares me that he's a teacher. That like <laughs> that should be somewhere you should know this, and he doesn't answer, know, and it should come out of a holster. Like right, you, should yeah. not, you should not have to think about this answer. Yeah. But in the West, the individual is the highest form of governmental unit. Yes. This is this is the highest polity that we have. Yes. We don't associate with tribe, religion. It's yep. the individual, or let me say, it should be. Yes. Um, that is radically different. And what annoys me is to hear conjecture and BS that you hear nowadays where we're constantly trying to tribalize ourselves. Yes. And and frame it as some new paradigm. Yes. No, that's not new. That's the oldest thing in the world. We're the new kid on the block. The things that we look down our nose at and go, oh, that's so 1950s, rugged individualism, valuing the individual. No, no, that's the new idea. Exactly. All the rest of this crap is is thousands of years old right. and you don't have to take my word for it to those of us that have been overseas you see it you see downstream of that mode of thinking yes and that to me is in- incredibly enlightening yes to see that and go let's not repeat that here we already know the answers to that and this is where veterans can provide a bit of enlightenment yes hopefully for the rest of the country that that's one thing where i felt so much pride in the veteran in the in the veteran community after that the fall of kabul and uh, and all that where we had various operations that all of a sudden sprung up by veterans who knew what the right thing to do you know we like uh, I think I even said in Weekly Havoc, like, yeah. it went against all of our moral fiber as warriors, as, as fighters in the United States, as, 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 as soldiers, Marines in the United States. It went against every fiber of everything that we stand for, the way that that happened. Yeah. And I am very proud of our veteran community stepping up. They're filling a breach. Filling that breach yeah. to do the right thing because we know what the right thing to do. So, if uh, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll give a shout out to some oh, organizations. Go right ahead. Of course, go right but, ahead. But as you know, I've, I've been affiliated with some of these groups um, doing this effort, and I got to say, any American, any American of any political stripe, I have to believe, would be enormously impressed with guys that are taking time. Their families are suffering. Yes. Their jobs are suffering. Their careers are suffering. But they're taking every spare minute to try to help the people that our country relied on for 20 years. Exactly. And are now at the, at, the, at the edge of a knife. Exactly. And um, I, I'll, I'll tell you, if you could see some of the videos I've seen, but Katehas guys, tier yeah. one Afghan commandos that are assassinated yeah. and their families assassinated. You see the babies that are killed by the Taliban. Yeah. The, the, the journalists, yeah. the women's rights activists, yep. people that are cowering for their lives, the voice messages that you get with people just begging and saying, brother, I have not lost faith in America. Yeah. I mean, that, and, and it's not just the Jameson talking. I mean, that's stuff that actually it really does tear me up. No, right, right. It's, it's real, it's man. Stuff, it's stuff where you go, you, uh, my God, these are people, and this isn't rhetoric of somebody that, like, hey, I'll say whatever because I'm drowning in the ocean. This is stuff that they've said to us for 20 years. Yes. And I, I've brought this up before, yeah. but, you know, with the last fob I was at in Afghanistan, rural area, and outside that, that fob, you could buy a house there a well-constructed house that looked modern in a lot of ways, and you would have to buy it for 120000 U.S. dollars. What? 
the economy had improved. They felt safe. Wow. There was a baseline level of safety yeah. there. Wow. And and now, admit, admittedly, we were they were they were right. The, the house was right next to an Afghan military base, okay. and inside it was an American military yeah, base. Yeah. Yeah. But even so, the fact that you're looking at that in rural Afghanistan, and this. To people who think I walked out there and was trying to canvas and they were giving me American prices. It's not true. This was coming from the Afghans themselves. Yeah. They're like, yeah, it's very expensive. The standard of living had raised. The child mortality rate had yeah. dropped. And I wish I had those statistics off the, on the tip of my tongue. I don't. But they dropped substantially. In other words, the standard of living, it wasn't perfect. It was yeah. still very dangerous. Yeah. But goddamn, it was a lot better. And to the point that 20 years, we had made a significant impact. So to those that are saying, you know, we never did any good there. We didn't save any lives there. We did. We do. 20 and years. Some, and it. this is something that there is a bond that we have. And I wish Americans could meet Afghans over there. Yeah. They're a lot more like Americans than you would think. And if they could vote, and, and this is something I've, I've brought up before, in the entire history of Afghanistan, every single external occupier, every single one, the Persians, the British, the Russians, yep. have been overthrown by revolution and kicked out, except for us. Yes. There's a reason. They would they would have been the 51st oh. state if they could have voted. We exactly. fucked it up ourselves. We fucked it up ourselves, and, and they still believe which yeah. is the which is the most gut wrenching thing, and the thing that that makes vets go, I will be there with you, brother, till Fuck this yeah. thing ends. Because one way or another, we are not going to give up on you, and even if our government does. Here's the thing, like like with the, with the fall of Iraq, when ISIS went in, and and, and the Kurds, right? I, I've done so much with the Kurds, and yeah. and, and you're like, I, 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 again, three times they've been betrayed. Exactly, and, yeah. and yet they still stick by God the United them. States and yeah. what the United States stands for. Twenty years of a relative stable government in Afghanistan where women were able to go to college. 20 years of women able to go able to go to college. That's insane. 20 years. And, and, wow. like, and, and not even not even women going to college. The first picture after the the day after the Taliban took over, yeah. the picture that, that first got me both angry and teary was a picture of school kids my kids age, five, yeah. six, seven years old, showing up in uniform, in their school uniform to school yeah. the day after the Taliban took over and showing up and being told by the Taliban school's canceled. Yeah. And they're standing there. And you, Their and lives they, are and over. They, and, they're, and, 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 and I mean, I knew, I mean, there were guys, I'm thinking of specific people, but whose sons and daughters were going to school yeah. in Kabul. They yeah. could afford private school thanks to the U.S. government and were standing there and this was, and they were teaching my friends, English, computer science, yeah. like stu like first world skills. Yeah. And you're looking at what this does and, and, and the fact that the imprimatur of our country is on this is shameful. And, and I, I don't say this with any self-loathing for our country because we can change. And I think it was Winston Churchill that said, America will make all the wrong decisions before it finally makes the right one. Yeah. And I do hold to that. Um, but it is the vet community that is standing, and, and to some degree active people as well, to the, to the best extent that they can, but that is stepping up and filling that breach and going, we'll be here, and, we'll, and we're not going anywhere, and we're going to let you know that we're here. Here's the thing, like, like to segue to kind of uh, a law, law enforcement and veteran officers who actually do the work as cops and yeah. do the right thing as cops and, and all that, you're starting to see this revolt against the leadership, against the status quo against all of that shit where it was now it's like no 
you're not gonna give me fucking quotas to fill. You're not gonna give me this to fill. You're not. I'm not doing any of that. My job is this, not yeah. to appease you or appease this politician or appease this city council. That's not my job. I think with the veteran community in, in the military, what they just showed, they showed America with between ISIS taking over Iraq and then also uh, ISIS uh, or, or t- the Taliban taking over Kabul, what the veteran community showed people was like, fuck no. I, I If I can talk about something that might be a little, little controversial. Yeah, go. I And I hope I'm wrong with this. I'm seeing a little bit of um, H.G. Wells, uh, I think it was Invisible Man, where he talked about the Eloy and the Morlock, right? And the Eloy live above ground and are very enlightened and pretty, and they get to walk around. Then you have the Morlocks that live below ground that actually make all the machinery work and actually do everything. Um, And uh, what I worry about... Like you, you and I are talking about is the noble no, nobility yes. of the American veteran, the American law enforcement professional that's yeah. doing God's work, unseen, unappreciated, and and what have you. What I worry about is if that gets perverted, yeah. and if there starts to be a sense of endear, uh, enduring resentment, yeah. or a sense that hey, there is such a disconnect between us and the Eloy, yes. uh, us and the, yeah. and the political masters, the elites, what have you, whatever you want to call them. That it starts to um, be exacerbated and, sh- and manifest itself in unproductive ways. Yes, and and I I don't say that to shame the veteran community or law enforcement community at all. In fact, I say that as a warning to everybody that hey, learn from the people that are actually turning the wheels below exactly. ground. Please invite them in. Listen to what they're saying because if we don't bridge that civ mill or civ law enforcement divide, whatever you want to, however you want to think about it, that warrior civilian divide. Yep. Yeah. If you don't bridge that gap, that warrior caste will be a separate entity, and that's not good for anybody. I'm, that's I'm, not good for the warriors that, or for the civilians. That's the thing. That that's the thing that I already see, and I always. That's one of my writings with, with Havoc, where I talk about the warrior class is a class on its own. Yeah. Law enforcement, military, combat vets yeah. who have been there, done that, seen it, all that. We are a whole separate class of people because. Our motivations are far beyond anything than any civilian would even know right. or understand or right. comprehend. Because here's the thing, like, like even my parents, right, they don't understand what it means or, or what it's like. Oh, yeah, I'll step in front of a bullet for somebody during an active shooter. Yeah. They don't get it. Yeah. They don't understand. They, they never will. They never know? will. And, and they don't understand why I have that mentality. I don't even understand why. But yeah. that's, in me, that's the inherent risk I will take for somebody. And and, and to be fair, I don't need them to understand. No, I, I, no. Like, you're hey, still going to do if, what you're going to do. Well, and also, and also, if you look, if, if you're a painter, right. if you're an artist, yeah. Hey, you know something? God bless, man. Yeah. Like that's the that, and this is just my opinion. I think that's the most precious thing in the world. Yes. You're building a bar. You're yes. building a restaurant. You're building a business. You're building a piece of art. You're building something. That's why we have society. That's the beauty of society. Yes. The problem with that is it's delicate. Yeah. And it can be destroyed easily. And people don't so realize you, how delicate that is. And exactly. And that's why you need that warrior cast because the warrior cast keeps it safe. Yep. So if you're a painter, an artist, an actor, a playwright, a business owner, you may not appreciate it. And, or, and by appreciate, you may not internalize a warrior experience. You may not be able to relate to it. Yes. What I wish, though, my only wish is to appreciate it 
and go, I don't understand it the same way that I, Chris Meyer, don't understand what a plumber does, but I deeply appreciate it, right? Yes. Appreciate what happens, what, what those mechanics are, and then... By doing that, that will have second and third order effects where the right people will gravitate to warrior professions. Yes. But what we can't have is a disconnect where, hey, you're a Morlock, we don't understand you, we think you're a little rough around the edges, and you know you need to be locked away from polite society <laughs> yeah, exactly. because you'll do an Abu Ghraib yeah. or a Rodney King beating yeah. or something like that, and you can't be trusted. Yeah. That's the that's what we need to prevent, and I think it's a cultural shift. And, yes. and I remember, you probably remember, in the, in the early days of the GWAT, the Simpsons, Family Guy, like a lot of these very influential shows put out a lot of episodes about John Kerry, the president yeah. said, hey, yeah. go to college, otherwise you're going to end up in Iraq. Right. You know, right? It's a slur. Yeah. And and for that, for pop culture to, to view the warrior cast that way is damaging. Oh, and I yeah. think, I don't need people to necessarily internalize our experience. What do we need, though, is for people to honor the experience and, and well, not dishonor it. And not dishonor it. Exactly. And make sure that, that maybe their kids will end up going, exactly. hey, shit, this is a worthwhile, noble right. path. Exactly. I always say it with Iman, too. Like, when people, they, they tell me that, you know, we're showing respect to the military, respect to the police, and this and that, and I'm sure you guys can tell me the same thing, but I never ask for respect. I just don't want disrespect. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't want the Right. I don't care. Yes. I don't want you to tell me thank you. I don't. Don't tell me that I'm an asshole, though, for not doing anything. Right. Just do, right. no disrespect. That, that whole, right. I get what you're saying. Don't thank yeah. you for your service, right? right. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about it before. Right. We've wrote, written about it before. Like, it's become like a fad. Thank you for your service. It's almost you, a fad. Yeah, yeah, I see and, it. And, and honestly, I'm okay with it. Like, Charlie and I have talked about it. It's like, I, I'm a fan of it. Like, yeah. I'm like, hey, I'll take... I mean, on behalf of the Vietnam guys, right. I'll, I'll take well, the yeah, exactly. right. I'll, the, I'll take the superficiality. Uh, my father-in-law, who's a Vietnam vet, we'll bring him on in a minute. But he'll tell you like some of the shit he has to go through when he came home as as a Vietnam War vet, and how the difference is between the way we got treated when we came home. You know, I'll never forget when I, I we landed in a, in Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. going to the uh, MWR uh, station before we moved on somewhere else, and. He, they people were sharing, like yeah. welcome the soldiers yeah. home. We were all in our DCUs yeah. and people yeah. were clapping. My father-in-law did not have that. No, of course. He of had course. to keep it a secret yeah. that he even went over there. I mean, talk about holy shit. And and to be fair, I think what we're talking about the the uh, I hate to use this word, but the discrimination or the the antipathy that we get is not from the rank and it's not from people in the streets necessarily, no. but it is from. The leadership. Yes. It is from, and I hate to use this word because it paints with a broad brush, but the elite class. Yeah. Right. So where, where instead, oh, well, you know, I, and, and I'll, I'll, say, I'll also say, I'll group one other group of people together. People in Connecticut. I think people in Connecticut. <laughs> I, I, every person I talk to from Connecticut wants to tell me about Afghanistan. I'm yeah. like, I'm sorry, have you been there? What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> but, but I've, been reading, I've been reading a lot about it. And I, yeah. I need you to understand. I'm, 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 I've seen a lot of Facebook posts <laughs> about yeah. it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why people from Connecticut have such strong, I don't know what it is that, that's endowed them with this knowledge, but uh, but it seems to be the, the phenomenon I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah. Something yeah. in the water, man. Something exactly. in the water over there. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I kind of uh, change a little uh, little direction here. I want to make sure these guys that, that came yeah, down yeah. to uh, to come yes. represent their Let's get them on. organizations, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's definitely get them on. That way we can talk to them because here's here's the real the reality of 20 years of war has done in our country with the warrior cast, with the warrior class is because is when we came home, 
again, I, I think I said the story, you know, Fort Dix, New Jersey, we had the VA over there telling us that, well, you know, if you have any issues, let us know. We're going to have to keep you on base, though, oh, Jesus. and lock you away yeah. and, you know, do assess what. And, and you're like, as, as a young, you're like, fuck, no, I'm not going to say shit yeah. because I want to go home. I want my freedom. Exactly. Yeah, I want Braveheart. And, and yeah, I love that, like, one guy in our unit actually said something. He had to stay at Fort Dix for six months. And oh. not only did he stay for six months. Oh. They put him in a platoon of the rear detachment of the broke dicks, basically. Oh, the WCU. Exactly. Yeah, the, yeah, the deserters. Yeah. The de- and he got treated like shit. Now, this Eesh. is a combat vet who actually spent time overseas, and he got treated like crap. Now, if you want to talk about PTSD and then the trauma of that combined, like, I was like, holy shit, are you kidding me? Like, you, why are you yeah. getting treated that way? So. Yeah. A lot of these organizations that came here as, as a result of, you know, us cu- putting together between uh, Havoc Journal and, and all of us for Vet to Vet because the fall of Kabul really hit us hard. Yeah. All of us. Because yeah. a lot of There was of a us, lot of anger. It was yeah. a lot of anger. It was it was our right hand. You know, we put up our hand because we wanted to go to fight. We yeah. knew what we yeah. were getting to. It's not like we, yes, you know, we, we'll pledge our allegiance and, you know, go into the military because college money. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. knew what yeah. we were getting into. Yeah. We knew, like, I'll, I'll never forget in boot camp, uh, it was the ramp up for Iraq. Yeah. And drill sergeants were getting us ready for that war. They knew where, because a lot of those guys at the time were Desert Storm vets. Yeah. My drill instructors, they were all Desert Storm vets. And they used to tell us about MSR Tampa, what it was yeah. like when they were there and launching, you know, sure. artillery downrange with airstrikes and them going through cleaning up, you know. Uh, what was going on? So I'm in. So, I, I hate to cut you off. Yeah, who, do you, yeah. who do you want to bring on with Chris? Let's start with. Uh, let's start with John. Actually, John. John helped us out. With Johnny. The, Johnny. Uh-huh. He's he, eating right now. Yeah, he, so. he is eating. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we just interrupted his eating. <laughs> we in, we interrupted you a little bit. Pull the troops out. Yeah. So this this big we're, thing right here, you can speak into it. We're, we're, we're going to do a hall of notes and like share a mic. Else, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to have. Four with three guys on. All right, there we go. All right. Are four yet sitting down? What's that? Are four you going to be here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Move as close to Pete as you can. You are. He doesn't want to get close to me. I don't want to get close to Pete. I might touch him. Your your forehead is shining. Oh. Like nuts. Give me a hat. Give me a hat. All right. Hey, Johnny, what's going on, dude? What's up, guys? How are you? So you tell us whatever you want to tell us about yourself. Remember, you know, a little bit of OPSEC going on here. Oh, we don't yeah. tell people who we work for, okay, but yeah. what we do. Going into so much detail. Just right? a little I bit. Of- no problem opening a can of worms, <laughs> right? Fuck them. So uh, no, so yeah, I'm a. Uh, I work in law enforcement full time, right? I'm a vet, 12 year. Uh, did two combat tours, Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, I'm on a bunch of different charity stuff. Uh, each year, uh, specifically four vets and four cops. So uh, when Iman called me, freaking out down in where were you, Key West? Key West. That <laughs> was Key West. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was very, uh, uh, very yeah. drunk at uh, the time. Drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah. 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 So we text him back and forth. Then he calls me, and we start uh, talking about some stuff. Uh, we just started talking about Afghanistan. What's going on? I'm being too loud. No, no, it's just no, you no, can no. hear yourself. Oh, oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> uh, so we started talking about You know Afghanistan What's happening And um, How we were feeling Yeah And hot under the collar Was 
mildly described. <laughs> what, what was going on in my fucking mouth? Yeah, right? I mean, I mean between, between you and me, I mean, uh, you even said, dude, I was getting phone calls. I'm getting phone calls. Like, guys were pissed off. Right. Veterans were pissed off. Combat vets were like, this is not what we are. We right. are not the ones that run like that. Correct. We, you know, the warrior ethos that were, that was instilled in us as even us as humans in a moral code, uh, saying that, you know, we'll never leave a fallen comrade behind. We'll never leave a comrade behind. And comrades is not only U.S. military personnel, it's the friends that we've developed over the years. It's the, it's the, 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 uh, you know, the, the close relationships we developed with, you know, Iraqi uh, citizens, Afghani citizens. We are not the type, as warriors, we're not the type that will just abandon a cause. Correct. It doesn't happen that way. I'm going to disclose something real yeah, quick, too, no, that, that I've disclosed it. over therapy over years. And uh, I'm going to say that uh, I remember after 9-11, I was in 10th grade, right? I, I was joining the service no matter what. Yeah. But 9-11 happened. I was in 10th grade. I was skipping class. And um, I got caught, got called in the classroom, and then we were watching shit burn down, right? Yeah. And I remember from that moment on that the now there was more purpose going forward, right? But now also that the enemy had a fucking, it had a face. Yeah. It had a face. You had a target. It had a religion. It had a place, right? So these things start happening. And um, what I'm, what I'm going to speak to and bring it around is uh, to our Afghan counterparts. So... Who do we start targeting, right? Muslim community. No doubt about it. Profiling, yep. right? The whole nine. We yep. had a face. Yep. We had a religion, right? We had a people. We In had a way. In some way, that's from. a natural reaction right. to totally you know, society. It. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? And then, um, you know, and I always vowed that, hey, no matter what, we were going to go and I was going to get my, my personal rep- retribution for 9 11. Right. My personal retribution for 9 11, no matter what. And uh, when we arrived, 2010, we got there, ripping in with our, our counterparts there, and then meeting, you know, you, you're learning all about the country, right? We'd already been to Iraq, we'd learned, we'd already had a foundation of how things operated, and then you go to Afghanistan, this whole other culture, you're trying to learn their culture, learn what they're about, learn their history, right, and, and have a foundation before going in. And I will say that, um, you know, one of our Terps, who turned out to be just an unbelievable guy, He's not, he's, he, this guy wanted to kill bad guys more than anyone else. And he had already been doing it for nearly 10 years. Right. And this guy was devoted. He was devoted to saving his own country. Um, much so to the point that after working for us, um, about three years after we had left country, he had, um, processed out. He had come to the United States. He had come to our country, become a U.S. citizen. And then had gone back now as U.S. military. Yeah. Like, you know, you hear these stories, and, and it's amazing. And so I talk about some of the things about, like, what I felt then versus what I felt now, and I, I just remember thinking that the amount of people in that country that sacrificed themselves, their families, their own lives for over that 20 years to work with us, right, right to help make the, that mission successful um, is, and we're leaving them fucking behind, here we are overnight just the, overnight literally yeah. overnight watching the Taliban retake Afghanistan with an 11 day sweep and then us as US standing by going we're going to abide by this August 31st date was absolutely mind boggling yeah and to yeah. feel in my opinion more um, have no control right feel completely helpless um, really sucked 
Oh yeah, no, that, that's the thing. Like when me and you were talking while I was drinking a lot of margaritas, but but that's the thing. We you know me, me and you were yeah, talking. Can, can, we, can we just say this is the most stressed out conversation that's ever come from Key West? Oh, <laughs> oh absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It was like <laughs> my blood pressure was yeah. like all the way up there. It's like, dude, I should be relaxed. Yeah. I shouldn't be like this. this if, if, if the NSA was <laughs> eavesdropping, they'd be like, "There's no way this guy can actually be." Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So so like you know when me and you were talking back, forth, we're like. You know, but that's our concern. We were like, we created or, or we uh, had so many allies, even even me in Iraq. Like, I, you know, I, w- I was talking to these Iraqis and they would give me information about the village. Here's the thing. We wouldn't be able to do our job if we didn't have that sort of information that we needed to know where Al-Qaeda was moving around, to know where... You know, enemy movements were happening. To know where the next IED is being planted, we wouldn't have any of that unless we had these cultivated relationships and these close relationships with Iraqis, Afghani's, to really be able to. Because, like you said, they were as patriotic as us. You know, to defend their own country because we allowed them, we gave them a voice, and we gave them an avenue to fight back. Correct. And because when when the U.S. goes in to fight for others' freedoms, you know the the SF uh, motto, uh, "De oppressor," right? When, when we labor, yeah. exactly when, when we go in and we help and do what we got to do on our end, it's it's not to us. It's not so much politics. It's not this. It's, to us, it's like you know what? It's the human thing to do. We enjoy our freedoms here in the U.S. I mean, I'll tell you right now, as, as, as an Arab American, I know what it's like in my home country of what it's like of, you know, uh, the, the, the government spying on you and getting kidnapped by the government for whatever charges they drum up with. You know, it's, it's like people, the civilians in the U.S. have no idea exactly how they have it. They don't know what real problems look like. They right. don't know what real problems look like. That's why, you know, one of my articles that I wrote for Havoc Journal is the champagne problems that, you know, people yeah. bring to law yeah. enforcement. And you're yeah. like, especially us as combat vets, we're like, really? That's, that's your problem? Yeah. You know, to us where when we were overseas, the problem were real. Yeah. No water, no electricity, right. insurgency. Mm-hmm. Like, we had actual shit that we were doing. Yeah, and I think I think there's a good law enforcement parallel for people that may not otherwise understand exactly the dynamic of of the Afghans that we're helping. You know, it's like if you're cleaning out a housing project, right? And you're trying to get the drug dealers out and you go in in force and you ask everybody in the building, "Hey man, we want your buy-in. Hey, help us out." And for 20 years, they help you out. And then suddenly you leave them. That little old granny that was mm. telling you, hey, that drug dealer's actually in the house next to me. And yeah, you can put a bug on the wall so we can hear what he's doing and all that. Now now she's screwed. And yes. now you're, and so that's when we, so when we get worked up over trying to help our allies there. That's what we're talking about because they were there helping us. And let's be clear, it was no paradise before we got there. They were no, coming out no. of the most brutal 10-year nope. period in yep. Afghanistan's history. Yep. So... We got there, and instantly we were a stabilizing force. Yes, yes, it was war, but it was a hell of a lot better from day one that we got there. The war, the, the rockets that were going into Kabul during the warlord years and all that, that shit stopped. Yep. And now it was simply, okay, we got the Taliban and we got the U.S.-backed Northern Alliance. Okay, it's it's a binary situation. It's not as violent, and it started slowly, step by step, started to gain ground and get safety uh, established <laughs> as, a, as the norm there. 
and I think people should appreciate that and appreciate what that relationship then was that we developed with the Afghans on the ground. I was talking with a few people here, and we're talking about, you know, there's, a couple, there's some great supporters here, people who are, are just tied to us through family members, right? Husbands, wives, spouses, the whole nine. And um, t- they're talking about how I'm using the word pistivity because... I think some DI made that up, that word pistivity. <laughs> and I just, talking about pistivity as, a, as, an, as an American citizen watching this unfold, right? Watching this unfold, this horrendous exfil where, I mean, you're talking the lowest Joe who yeah. just came out of bed and could have told you how fucked yeah. up this was going to be, yeah. Yeah. right? There's no doubt about it. And looking at accountability, looking at um, who do we hold responsible, how could this even happen, yeah. right? We've all yeah. known that this yeah. is uh, a thing that could happen. I remember when I had left, like I said, 2011, I think Bagram at that time was probably a $2 billion base. That's a goddamn city. Yeah. yeah. $2 billion. $2 billion yeah. base. That was, yeah. that, was the, that was the word that I got when we were leaving, that the base was about $2 billion. Uh, so, to abandon that, right? On Think about what you're giving the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> you just gave them $2 billion in essence. I want $2 billion fucking dollars. $2 billion in base. I mean, I, we, I'm sure we all saw that list that got produced regarding the amount of equipment, uh, arms, ammunition that we essentially just left in their hands. And it is fucking my... Could you, could you imagine losing... Could you imagine losing... So a, a past 13, Dude. losing a, uh, a you, pack four. You, you know, as well as I do, like, if, 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 someone, if someone calls yeah, in that right? they're missing yeah. night vision goggles, what yeah. used to happen, yeah, man? Right, we right. used to right. shut down right. the shut fucking base. Shut it down. Like, yeah. do it. Find it. Shut it down. Yeah. 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 Shut it down. Yeah. So, so where's the material support to terrorism when you have the Taliban and Al-Qaeda guys now walking around with M4s? Yeah. Where's that? And I think it's important also just to note as a quick point of clarification— the Taliban didn't take the country in 11 days. The Taliban backed by the Pakistani Army yes. and Pakistani Air Force. Good point. Good and, point. This is, and this is not ISI, right. which everyone, it's been an open secret for years that the ISI needed the Taliban, and I won't get on my soapbox and bore everybody with the recent <laughs> history of that because I know everybody at this table knows it. But the fact that military members from Pakistan in uniform are there doing that means why do they not fear repercussions from the United States? And that, to me, is, and that goes to the betrayal, that, uh, of, and I think it's why vets are so disturbed right now. It's not just that we did a shit job pulling out. You know, a lot of things are shitty in the military. We're right. used to seeing that, right? Crappy is the normal. But the betrayal correct, is really what jars you, where you go, dear God, out of pure, it seems like, animosity towards the Afghans because there's no inciting incident. There was no reason to pull out right now. Right. There was no Tet Offensive that Correct. made us go, oh, crap, let's leave yeah, we, right we now. Get out of here. This was completely arbitrary, yeah. capricious, yep. and just decided on the spur of the moment was seemingly with just antagonism towards Afghans. Like, screw them, yep. we're out of here. There's, there's two things that pop in my mind during this time that really fueled me. Number one was watching some of the... Now, you know... As we know, there's some things that get censored, some of the stuff that we watch online, and looking at some of the photos and videos of you had U.S. forces, right, our own, and then just on the other side yeah. of the sea wire, yeah. they are literally seven feet away from the enemy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine how gut-wrenching yeah. that is, number one, to watch that. And then the second thing is to watch our country's leadership 
literally stand up before the American people and look us in the eye through the camera and then tell us how, well, we're not about nation building. Well, motherfucker, there's something that I want to know. Yeah. What type of fucking coin operation were you jamming up my fucking ass and down my throat, double teaming me and my boys at the same fucking time for years and years and years yeah. and years? Well, or, or, right? or let's just take it as far as what they did say we're about. We're about counterterrorism, oh. human rights. <laughs> oh, well, you, you, mean, you mean like what we're seeing in Afghanistan right now? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder where, where terrorism is really burgeoning right yeah. now. Where's, where are women's rights being abridged? Right I mean, now? I mean what, what, what really also me like like it hit me is when when the Afghan woman was giving her child up to U.S. forces on the wall, yeah. on the wall. I'm, I was, I'm like, dude, that is so fucked up. Dude. Like, like, why is that happening? Well, why? And and same thing with the picture of the uh, uh, female marine. I, I, God forbid, I, I I forgot her name, but she one of the thirteen that died. Yeah, having the baby, holding yeah. the baby, kind of cradling her to go right. to sleep or w- whatever she was doing. And I could not believe that was happening. One one of the things that sticks out too that I, that I mentioned, I talked to my dad about. I said, "Do you want to know what freedom is?" Right? And I, I don't know if it was you guys who put it on. I don't know if it's Havoc Journal. I don't know who it was, but I remember. I remember guys who put it on, it was it was the video and photo that we were watching as Afghans clinging to the side of a yeah. C-17, yeah. right? The clinging to the side of a C-17, trying to escape the country, yeah. right? And you're just going, capture this moment and going, this is it right here. This is it. What are they? They are willing to die. To Think of what the they're country. willing to do. What are they willing well, to do? And, and for everybody that wants to say, hey, we shouldn't have been there in the first place. The Afghans never wanted us there. Really? Really? You think they were, hiding to the, yeah. you think they were holding on to the British wheels as the British <laughs> went out of there in 1890? You think they were holding on to the Russian MiGs as they were leaving? Right. The fuck they were. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, so, yeah, right. we're real assholes. And I think that's something Americans don't appreciate enough, the average civilian, that an American soldier naturally has rapport with people in the third world more than any other country on the planet, more than the British, the French, the Portuguese, the Spanish, well, we, all of them. We did things a little differently when we occupied the territory. Well, and also, we were a colony. I think. We were a colony. We did. You mean, so oh, we, we were never a colonizer. We, were right. a co- we came right. from being a colony. So that means... So we naturally have we a knew. rapport with people Correct. that are colonies. Right. You mean we, yeah. we, we didn't take by attrition? We didn't kill men, yeah. women, and children? Exactly. Right? Take real estate, yeah. right? Yeah. We just arbitrarily The Russians didn't go fucking, yeah. you know... You know, kicking, uh, uh, wiping people's fucking asses. Right. right. You know what I mean? Generally, we did a lot of that. We were giving them a lot of money, a lot of infrastructure. We built them fucking. How many roads and how much infrastructure oh, did we build? Yeah. I remember. I mean, one of the strangest things was escorting in uh, USAID with nine million in cash. Right. And just going, where are we going? And then you go, yeah, we're gonna go give this to uh, some fucking elder in some rural village. But we gotta stop at the bank there. Oh. oh <laughs> Okay, this sounds legit. There's a lot of things that that happened that were bad when we went there, right? Obviously, people died. Mm-hmm. Innocent people died. We're not gonna we're not gonna say that they didn't, right? But as, as in any war, as right. in any war, which right. is expected. Right. I think we mitigated a lot of it a because lot. of the quality of operations that we yeah. had and the quality of the soldiers that we had. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But. We left that country much better than it was. Oh, God. Correct. Until fucking D-Day. Yeah. Correct. Until fucking pullout. Correct. Well, and, and that's why it's really pulling the rug out from under them. Yes. Right. Because we set a level of expectation and then literally, I mean, with the military, right? If I hear one more slur about the fighting prowess of the Afghan military, motherfucker, <laughs> how good would our military be if you took away our air support, our intelligence support, right. our ISR uh, support? A lot of people uh, don't yeah. realize that. How good would we be? Yeah. Well, you take all that shit away yeah. with a national 
nascent army that we've just built up and then see how good they fucking fight. I was against, explaining by the way, it. Not just the Taliban, but again, the Pakistanis right. supported by Chinese drones. Yeah, yeah how good are they I was be? explaining it to, to, to a, fr- a very close friend of mine who wasn't, you know, in, in a bad way asking me. He was like, okay, why were we there for 20 years? And I was trying to say to them, you got to think about this, right? The Afghanis have been fighting the Russians and everybody else. It's a bunch of dudes with 70-year-old fucking AKs and sandals against the greatest fighting force on the fucking planet. And we were there for 20 years. I'm not dogging our military in any way, but just think about how difficult it is for all of the soldiers, all of the operations, everything that was going on from landscape to... Everything that we had to bring in there. Well, and it's and it's also and this is something that doesn't get talked about enough. Afghanistan's history is, is one of leverage. It is always, history has always been determined by its neighbors. The reason we were fighting for twenty years is because every single geopolitical enemy of the United States surrounds Afghanistan. Right. Yes. China, yep. Russia, right. Iran, Iran. Right. Yep. So you've got all that influence going in there, and then you have every single Sunni terror group on the planet with some imprint in inside Afghanistan. That shit is all... That's an international enterprise in there. That's not just dudes running around in sandals. That is a major infrastructure that has been built up there. You have a huge confluence of drugs, money... Arms. It is a transport. There's of all massive that. industry. Yep. Massive, massive industry. Massive industry and a massive transportation hub for all that stuff. And what is is I don't know if they have the second or third largest copper mines in the world. Yeah, I've right? heard a lot about the minerals there. Well, that's what's happening with China now. So China's getting their their yep. hooks. Well, so, there, right? so the funny story with that. So the Mohammed Aga mine at Mezianek, which is in Logar Province, the Chinese got a contract to that for I want to say something like. 27 or 41, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, uh, million or billion dollars. I don't want to overstate <laughs> Probably it. billion. It was a lot. Probably a lot. billion. They got that, though, in 2007. Guess how much money they've recouped from that mine since they were there in 2007. Oh, I can't imagine. Take a guess. How much? I'm not going to even bother guessing. Seven million dollars. That's it. That's all wow. they've recouped. You want, that's all they've recouped. And they started, and for the past... 10 or 15 years, they've been negotiating the hell out of the Afghan government to try to get more and more permissions because they were like, hey, there's no infrastructure in Afghanistan. We right, can't right. operate in here. Right. So what the Chinese are pissed about and why they're clicking up with the Taliban now is because they're like, we have so many sunken costs in Afghanistan, we'll be damned if we're going to leave before we get all, every goddamn mineral that we can get out of here. They've done it in Central Africa. They've done it all over the world. They And they have all these precious metals. They do not want to lose how much they've already lost in Afghanistan. They need to recoup that loss. Everything is a business at the end of the day, guys. It is, I mean, man. Especially with our geopolitical Bullshit enemies. works, man. Yeah. Bullshit works. Uh, one of the things I did want to discuss real quick um, was that what do we say? So part of, I think this was talking about moving the mission forward. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What, yeah. what do you say to your fellow vets? Um the guys that are kind of guys and girls that are clinging on, the guys and girls that are struggling and watching this unfold. And for them, uh, some of the terms that I've heard are meaningless. My mission meant nothing. My time there meant nothing. These are these are fucking it's strong. It's hurting deep down inside. Strong, right? These, these yeah. cuts deep, right? Yeah. It really does. Um, part, part of the perspective that I talked about with other vets was like, each, just like every presidency, every administration, they take on this baby, yeah. and they shape and mold it how they want to, right? They got to look and say, well, hey, during my time here, what is it that I want to accomplish? Right. 
And the reality is, is I can remember specifically, I remember, right, the officers that had, um, at, at the time that I was in 2010, what was happening was they were taking commanders who had not seen any ground command time in combat yeah. or in any theater. They were taking them from the War College and going, hey, you guys want to get some combat experience? <laughs> we're going to throw your Navy ass in charge of some fucking yeah. infantry dudes and uh, let's see what we can come with. But Do make sure you push that, yeah. Yeah. Wow. push that shit. Push that shit, that coin mission, right? Right? Yeah. And these are guys are true believers. And the reality was this, right? From the time that you get in, right? You rip in from the time that you rip out. The reality that only mattered was um, I cared about the dudes to left and right, right? And I cared about um, whether or not we took the fight to the enemy when and where we could, yep. right? So we roll the dice. We're handed down the mission. This is the mission, right? right? But at the end of the day, my mission was um, if we can develop intelligence and develop sources and take the fight to the enemy to help fucking further uh, keep these people from being oppressed from the enemy, then let's fucking do it while we're here. I don't care about the fucking 20-year mission. Do you know why? Because my time here is so fucking limited, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. tell these guys that you got to picture it like that, that your time did matter, that those losses that you took, they, they do fucking matter. It's not a wash. Right. I promise you it's right. not a and wash. how many 9-11s did not happen because, because of everything that was yeah. going on? It's it, we, we can't forget that. And it's easy to, you know, you can you play that game all day of what could have happened, but we know goddamn well what did happen on 9-11, and there's no reason that would have stopped there if we hadn't gone in. And with all the pressure we kept up there, it would be ludicrous to say that we didn't have any impact there, and I hope vets don't adopt that narrative, um, whether in a sense of self-defeat or to try to uh, uh, kind of adjust to a new reality through therapy or something, you better fucking recognize the child mortality rate in Afghanistan, as I said before, dropped. Yep. The economy boomed. Yep. The, the amount of terrorism that we received from Afghanistan-based cells went to zero. Right. Those are three just metrics just on their superficial face value that should make any vet go, fuck yeah, I made a difference. They fucking of right. course you did. did. Absolutely. There's zero. Ch- there's zero issue with that. And 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 guys, look, call Iman, call anybody on the show, call one of our support groups that we have here. You know what I mean? Get it all out because whatever you're, if you're thinking that, it's wrong. I'm sorry. I'm not going to say, I, I, and Iman knows me. I never tell anybody that they're wrong, but that type of thinking is wrong. I'm going to definitely tell guys, guys and girls to plug in and get to, um, uh, whether it's home base, yep. whether it's uh, it's the VA, I know that everybody's getting inundated. Uh, at, you know, since there was this withdrawal happened and then the, the events that have followed, I totally get it. But I, I'll tell you, for anybody that's feeling down out there, they're feeling at their lowest fucking point. Telling you to reach out, call the suicide hotline, get in touch. We we'll get you guys plugged in, get in through home base. And I tell you, man, it makes the world a fucking difference. Can I interject for a second about this shit? It's not just about calling them because that's a big step. Right. right. Call a friend first. Yep. Absolutely. Call one of us. Absolutely. Call anybody yep. first. Absolutely. Text. Fucking go have a beer, and then we'll get there. Yep. Absolutely. Because I know calling the suicide hotline is a big fucking deal. It is. It's a big deal. It's a big step, and being a big. step step guys won't make it so call your buddy call your girlfriend call your fucking boyfriend call whoever it is and why is this a reality because what in the global war on terror i'm gonna put the global war on terror but at least between iraq and afghanistan we've, we've literally lost over seven thousand soldiers sailors and right. marines right over yep. seven thousand yep 
Uh, do you know the last count as to how many we've lost to suicide? suicide? Oh, it's it's over thirty-two fucking thousand. That's ridiculous. So, so you tell me where the fucking war is now, yeah. right? You tell me yeah. where the war is. The yeah. war shouldn't have to be in your head. That's the war should not have to be in your fucking head. There's resources. There's yeah. money out there. I'm counting yeah. money, believe me. <laughs> there's resources. There's money out there, and there's friends that will fucking help. It, here's Hands the thing. down. So, so, so I, I want to bring on my uh, my father-in-law. He's a Vietnam vet. He's yeah. actually over here right now, and just to hear how he got treated. You know, just just to kind of segue a little bit on how he got treated because it, us as veterans in the current wars, we we got more support than what the Vietnam vets had to deal with. Yep. And it was it was, it was night and day, that, right? Oh, a night and day. Yeah. And, and let me let me get his attention cuz he's a little hard of hearing. What's his name? Ray. Well, Ray. well and also, I mean, I think there's something to be said for understanding the vets experience with bad withdrawals mm-hmm. and bad second order effects of withdrawals um, from from their areas of operation. Let me just say about Ray, he go <laughs> before we get the food out, he's like, I'm fucking hungry. <laughs> and, I <was> like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, uh, let me go back there and see what they got. And I was like, hey, they're going to put a pizza on it for you. He goes like, no, I want some fucking chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got them to make chicken wings. <laughs> Ray, have a seat, sir. Yeah. You got to put it on. Yeah. It'll, it'll help. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're hard of hearing, Ray, so you, you need those Don't headphones. listen to him. Don't listen to him. Yes, I, I'm hard of hearing. I left my <laughs> hearing aids at home. Because you don't like them. How do you know that? I, that was <laughs> I know that. I know, that's me. I said that. Oh, the government gave them to me. Yeah. Uh-huh. And only the right one works. The left one is broken. How does it sound right now, though, with the, with this gear? Does it sound okay? Yeah, it sounds great. Can I take it home? Sure. You can have whatever you want. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's all Iman's anyway, so. <laughs> all right. So, so, Ray, tell us a little bit about yourself first. Oh. Anything you want to tell us. And speak right up speak? close to the microphone. You want me to sing? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get him to sing, please, God. <laughs> we'll get the whole bar going. Go for it. <laughs> okay, a little bit of myself, uh, Okay, and uh, I grew up in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. And um, in uh, April. Hello? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, you cut me off. I cut you off already. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) April of uh, 66, I was drafted, and I went to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia for my basic training, and I went to Fort Polk for my AIT training. Oh, Fort Polk, man. What? Really? Louisiana. Oh, my God. That's like the worst base. Oh, (laughs) you you talk about culture shock. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. You know, from New York to Alabama and that area down there, it it was something else. Anyway. It sounds like you pissed off somebody in the Army just right out of the starting gate since they sent you to Fort Polk. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I yeah. guess I did. Yeah. Anyway, it was punishment for something. <laughs> punishment for something. What, else, what else happened to me? Oh. So you served in Vietnam. Yeah, from uh, December 66 till January 68. What, what unit I, were you uh, Were you a part of? 199th Light Infantry Brigade. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Red Catchers, I think, were recalled. So one yeah. of the things that Iman was talking about that, you, that, that we wanted to get your insight on was the difference when you came back from uh-huh. fighting your war to the difference with, with Iman, how Iman was treated and how you were treated. 
Could you elaborate on that? Is that okay? Yeah. I didn't like it. You didn't like it? Uh, uh, we were uh, baby killers. We were spit on. It was a bad time. Yeah. So, uh, it was, we could I kind of crawled into a hole, you know. I didn't, really? What do you do? I mean, yeah. people hated you, spit on you. They, they didn't want you around. So. And there wasn't very much support for you back then either. There was zero, nothing. Yeah. Nada. And uh, so I just coiled up and went my way and just kind of struggled through things. Yeah. But. Uh, and I hate to bring this up. You could stop at any time. I don't. I don't want you to get into things that you don't want to get into. Well, it, I'm sorry. It uh, it wasn't a good time. Yeah, come back to America, get that protest, and I felt betrayed by a government. You yeah, know, we were left out hanging, and uh, which was wrong. They, we had troops there, and they just left us. Left us there. Anyway, uh, I was glad to get home. And uh, I don't know. It, uh, like I said, I called into myself and just went along my way and did what I have to do to survive. And uh, I never had any support like they had today, which was kind of different. Like I was telling uh, one of the guys at home, home base, home base. Yeah, there, yeah. That uh, just speak into the mic, right? That way you can hear you. There you go. Uh, the guy at home base there. He, I was telling him. I said, you know, here you got a different culture. You got young people. You got people who care. I said, I go to the VA hospital in Phoenix, Arizona, and what do I see? Where we're two Korean, Vietnam, all old people. Yeah. We don't get the support. So I'm, I'm disenfranchised with the VA. Uh, well, nothing I could do. I just keep on going just to get three meds. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's, they're not cheap, but. I get them. I get uh, all sorts of stuff. I got diabetes. I got the heart problems. I got the high blood pressure. I got cholesterol problems. <laughs> I'm just one big mess. Oh, but, uh, you look great. Yeah, for 75, I'm doing all right. Uh, you're fantastic. If I make it to 75 and look like you, I'm a happy man. I'm a happy man. My wife would say you got a better beard than I do. So, yeah, <laughs> well, I keep it trimmed. I try to keep it trimmed. Yeah. I, 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 I don't trust myself with a razor, so I just use it. See, I, didn't have to, I, I have that, and I'm not even 75. I, I don't yeah. trust myself with a razor. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's like I said, it's different here in uh, Boston for the newer troops that are here. They, uh, they seem to be well taken care of. Yeah. 
but uh, it's vastly different from what you experienced. Yes, I, I never really wanted to go to the VA until my son-in-law says three years ago, four years ago. Good. Hey, you gotta go. You gotta go. I said, what for? I, they're not gonna do anything for me, but they did, I and they mean, did. And were you happy? You happy I, that you went? Yes, I am. I. You know, <laughs> even though I only had one doctor, well, I had, I've been there for three and a half, four years, and I had a doctor every year, a different doctor. Yeah. I said, what kind of stuff is that? That's that's not right. I mean, I yeah. need somebody who is consistent with me. He gets to know you and all yeah. that, right. What meds and stuff. I really don't feel like I get the medical attention I need from the VA just because they seem to be stacked up. I try to call. I get four or five months appointments to see a doctor. Wow. I got a, I got a call recently from a, the pharmacist before I came out to Boston. And uh, he said, uh, you know why you're here? I said, no, I have no idea why I'm here. He says, well, I called in and talked about your medication. I said, well, that's great. I said, I just went to my private doctor, and uh, he changed my medications. He said, well, he can't do that. I said, well, not. He's a doctor. He yeah. says, but I'm your a pharmacist. I give you your medication. I said, yeah, your pharmacist. You don't tell me what to take. He yeah. says, yeah. And I said, well, my doctor says I'm going to do this and this. He says, no, I don't want you to do that. If you want medication from the VA, you're going to have to do what I tell you. The pharmacist is telling yeah. you that? Absolutely. So I tried it for a week, and I had an average uh, blood pressure, uh, not blood reading. Yeah, for the uh, diabetes. Diabetes. Yeah. I, usually it was a, a hundred plus or minus ten. I listened to him, and in a week's time, it was a hundred and sixty plus or minus twenty. And I said, "You're crazy!" Oh my so, god! So I went back to what my doctor told me to do. Yeah. And now I'm back. Back to normal. Yeah. No, what normal? A hundred plus or minus ten. Right. And I said, "Well, this is great." I said, "Why am I listening to this pharmacist?" The, the only thing better than a lot of bureaucracy is when the bureaucracy is also wrong. Exactly. Right. That's great. Right. Yeah. I said, "I know my body." I said, "You can't tell me to do that." But and I told him I agreed with him because if I didn't. I wouldn't get any medication. So. Yeah. Ray, talk about that, because I don't think a lot of people understand, both vets and civilians, don't understand what they should about the VA system and about the medical care that vets receive. And I know it varies. I know some VAs are better than others, but that's an example of something that, I mean, that's insult to injury in my mind. You already right. went through Vietnam and all the fallout from that. To yeah. have the, this added on to it seems to be a bridge too far. Yeah, I, I can't understand how that, how somebody could tell me what I need if they don't give me an exam or a blood, blood uh, readings or right. anything like this. I said, how do you do this? I mean, I seen... I haven't seen a doctor in over a year, but I'm going to see one on the 25th of this month or next month, October 25th. Yeah. And I have to talk to her about this pharmacist. And I would I would raise a lot of flags yeah. about this pharmacist. Ray, can I can I ask you just in general? 
when you look at both from your military experience and your VA experience, in other words, all the ways that the military services impact, impacted your life, both in youth and now, you seem to be, in the five minutes that I've known you, you seem to be in a relatively good humor. You don't seem like you harbor resentment. You seem like you're sad. <laughs> you seem like there's 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 pain, but you're not resentful over it. Is that accurate, or is there kind of a sense of, God damn, I really got let down by these people? I did, and I, I don't want to broadcast it too much because, <laughs> I mean, the, yeah. no, they, I they try. VA tries, like you say, that they're just too big. Too much government interference, right? And uh, I, I just don't feel like uh, they have a hands-on on me anyway. I tried yeah. to to get things done, but you got to wait for appointments. You got to wait this. I went to, <laughs> I went for glasses one time, and they gave me the wrong. They made the wrong readings on my eyes, and they gave me the wrong prescriptions, and I couldn't see. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> that, that's the thing, right? Like, it surprised me because, like, in Boston, the VA and Providence, where, where I deal with, they're, like, really, really good. So when you tell me the stories of Phoenix, I'm just like, where's the disconnect? I, I like, don't know. what's I going don't. on? So, so they finally sent me, after I complained, they finally sent me to outsourced to a, a, a regular... Uh, uh, what do you call them? Optometrist or uh, optometrist? No, no. What's the other optometrist? One? No, oh, not. eyes. What? What's the problem? For what eyes, part of the body? Eyes. Eyes. Optometrist. Not an optometrist. Something else. Yeah. What's the eye doctor? Optometrist. Is he in a? Okay. <laughs> Maybe the VA calls him something different. I don't, I don't no, know. No. They call the VA calls it a kidney doctor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a janitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I went the guy to them and turpentine I, and, and, and the glasses yeah. and I thought, wow, this is pretty good. And uh, so and then like I said, like I don't have my hearing aids because uh, the left one broke and I went down and uh, to the VA after uh, I got an appointment and uh, they uh, they took out my ear, hearing aid and they looked at it and they fiddle-faddle around with it and they put something in a new, a new uh, they said it was filled with wax or something. Anyway, it worked for about a week and then it failed again. So, so anyway, it, it was different. So I, I said, I'm not going to wear these until I get new ones, but I hate to go down to the VA again and try to get new ones. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I don't know. I try, but... Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's a losing battle, I think, when you're fighting a big bureaucracy like that. And I kind of want to ask you how that factors in, especially with your Vietnam experience. Did, did Vietnam, did that color... How, I'm sure it colored your perception of our government, but how did it color your perception of our government? Was it was it a sense of betrayal? Was it a sense of disappointment? Was it a sense like what did it do? What, what how had you thought of America before and then after you came well, back? Well, when I was drafted, I said, okay, that's fine. I, I'll go. I mean, I don't have any problems with that. I'm not going to run off to Canada. I'll yeah. serve my country. I'll do my duty. Yeah, I'll, I'll do what I have to do sure. to, to as a citizen of the United States. And then when I was there, I mean. It seems like we really didn't get any support. And then... Explain that. What do you mean? In what way? In, 
and everything. I from mean, the public, from the public, from the public, yeah. mostly from the public, from our, our government. We seem to get everything we need to kill somebody. Right. But if right. you were wounded, I mean, I had pneumonia when I was there, and I sat on a heliport for a couple of hours before I was dusted off into a hospital. And I was there for uh, three days, and they cut me loose. It wasn't. Could have been worse. They could have had the VA come to look after you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> too soon? Uh, too soon. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> I mean, and then when, then when we were, I was cut loose, and, and they didn't support the government. I mean, our, our troops in the Vietnam anymore was kind of devastating for me. Yeah. I thought... Why did I spend 13 months here? Yeah. If yeah. if you're gonna just shit can them, excuse the language. No, no, no. Yeah. What, so, so what, what did it, when when Saigon fell in '75 and the war came to an end? How did you feel then? Obviously, you've been a civilian for almost 10 years at that point. Yeah. I, I, I didn't care anymore. You didn't care. You were done. Uh, you were yeah, over. Yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Well, that's the way it was. Yeah. I mean. It can't stop anything now. It's, it's, yeah. I spent, what, 13 months there, so move on with my life. I really didn't think about it. I really don't get upset or tearful until somebody starts talking about it with me. And I, I, I feel sad because I couldn't really do anything. What I did do, I tried. Yeah. But, uh, how much contact did you have with Vietnamese people? Were you, did you, were you partnered with the Arvin? Were you part? Were no, you no, no. We we we'd go on, we would go on sweeps every at least once a month. Leave our base camp and go, go through villages and stuff. Walk through the Asian Orange areas. <laughs> oh, that must have been good for you. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, you could just look at and see all this wilted dead. Pineapples and vegetation. Oh God, that's all I need. But anyway, and I try to keep upbeat about it, but I, I really don't dwell on it anymore. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't want it because it, it hurts. It hurts emotionally. Again, you don't have to answer this. Answer as much or as little as you see fit. I'm just curious, what part hurts the most? Is it the way the country treated you? Is it the conditions of being over there? What was it? What What is it that, that you just kind of want to... What, what hurts the most? What's the most sensitive part of that? I, I think being over there and seeing what's going on uh, and uh, feeling uh, like you really couldn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, you're just over there for a police state... Yeah, and uh, you cleaned up the dead. You cleaned up wherever you can and moved on. We weren't in a, in a pork chop hill or anything like that where some of the Marines were. Right. But we we did whatever conflict we had, uh, wandering through the uh, uh, southern part of. Uh, Saigon uh, and the rice patties. Uh, it, it, it just downharding. You, you couldn't do anything really. Yeah. And I, I got really disappointed with our government. Uh, 
did your did your faith ever recover in our government? Did you ever get any faith back <laughs> that you lost? <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah, how do you feel uh, now? Oh, come on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Come on, man. You see what's going on now? Yeah. Oh, sleepy yeah. Joe. Well, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of wondering if it peaked and then it's gone back down again recently. Or is it, I, I it try, stay at this level I the whole time? I try to keep away from the news as much as I can because yep. I, I, I see things are getting worse and worse and worse. I'm saying, oh, my God, what's going to come? I say, I don't have too many years here on this planet, but my children and grandchildren are going to yeah. be here. What are they going to face with what's going on today with yeah. our government yeah. allowing things to happen like the borders are wide open, people are walking through them. Uh, Can I ask you bluntly, did you feel better with President Trump? You know, I'm a New Yorker. Yeah. I was born here. Yeah. And I knew I know New Yorkers. Yep. Trump is a New Yorker, yep. and he's a loudmouth, a braggart. Yep. But he he knew his stuff, and when he went after somebody, he knew what to do. That's a New Yorker. Absolutely. I'm married to one, so I know. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I like the guy. Yeah. I like. And I'm not oh, trying to sound, things. I'm not trying to be 100% political, but it's a vast difference in what I'm seeing with a lot of veterans and a lot of police officers oh, that they're seeing, they're less yes. comfortable with who we have in charge right now. Oh, yeah, the guy is, uh, the, the guy is sad. I mean, how can they allow? They're allowing it. Allow yeah. a man who has dementia on a steps of dementia to operate a country and, and uh, run this world. I, I, I'm ashamed. I really am. Anyhow. Wow. wow, man. Honestly, thank you for everything that you've done for this country. Yeah. And, Honestly. And, and Ray, I, I, I don't say this to sound patronizing or anything like that. You don't need any attaboys from me. Right. But I'll, I'll say this. Look, I, I, when I was a kid growing up, Vietnam was the only war I could really read about, right? Yeah. In, our, in our recent rearview mirror. And I read a lot of those books, and I am absolutely convinced that what we did over there was we did stop communism from spreading eventually. I think so. after that, the Chinese and, yeah. the, and the Marxist influence over there couldn't continue to spread. There's a reason why the Thais, why the, the Australians, French. why the so many people were over there fighting with us in yeah. Vietnam. Because they were like, hey, we don't want this to spread. And after 15 years of war, they finally were like, okay, you know something? We're out. The Chinese were done. They were like, we, we can't yeah. keep spreading. And yeah, Cambodia sucked, and the boat people, and the millions that died over there after Vietnam. But I, I really do believe that the troops over there did have a positive effect. And the amount of life that you did give, and the chance for living that you gave people while you were there, I, I, I think is indelible. Uh, I'm sure the local population is... Uh uh, pretty happy that we were there because now yeah. they have to open up their eyes to what the world's going on. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. It brought a lot of attention. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and you yeah. save people. I mean, your presence. The United, United, United States soldier means something. You know, yeah. uh, not anymore, buddy. Not anymore. We mean something. We mean something. We'll. I, I take it. No, I would disagree with that. I think we mean a lot. The 
problem is they're not sending us where we need to be. Yes. But I think by us being there, I, I do think people would we would be difference makers, and we, we have been. But I think I think be there. I think what you're saying is that they don't mean something to the general public, not in in their influence in the world. I think what you're trying to say is, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, the public isn't seeing the American soldier as they used to. Absolutely. They, yeah. they were heroes during World War II yeah. and, and Korean right. War. Right. I mean, they were in there to help. And now they think our soldiers don't do anything but go in and kill babies or something. Right. I don't understand. I, I really don't. Well, and the Nazis were the last bad guys out there. <laughs> Everybody says the Nazis hasn't been that bad, apparently. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Right? You know? yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, Ray, it's a pleasure, really. Well, thanks for... Uh, Ray, I'm going to shake your hand. Uh-oh. Thank you for your service, sir. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah. Likewise. Okay, Real sir. pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Thank sir. You. You don't want me to sing now, right? You can, yeah, you know what? You can if you want. Go sing right us, ahead. Sing us in our mission. Yeah. Uh, I, I have no problem with it, believe me. There's going to be thousands of people that hear it if you have a problem with it. Okay, thank you. Hey, no, thanks, thank you, Ray. sir. Yeah, so Pete, I'm gonna. Uh, yeah. If you allow me, I mean, and I'm go saying, for it. I'm saying this just to filibuster until we get our next person over. Yeah, go so, for it. So uh, don't let that stop you from bringing on somebody. Talk to me. Iman's grabbing somebody now. But okay. Go, go for it. So I, I think it's one one thing I want to bring up about uh, the the partisan piece, the Trump piece. Yeah. I think it's important for people to remember. Trump did start the withdrawal. Right. And, yep. and there were a lot of bad things. I was there when Parwan Prison emptied three times under his watch. Yep. And people need to remember, he didn't have a plan either. Now, I yep. don't know if he would have pulled the trigger on the ex- on the exfil now, and, and and I don't think no one will ever know. And we can't speculate. Right. But but it's important to remember, Assholia knows no party. Right. And, and stupidity when it comes to these issues has been bipartisan. And The, and, the, and the only reason I brought it up, yeah. and, and it wasn't I wasn't trying to be partisan with it. I wanted to get, because he's obviously, he was a 75-year-old yeah. man, yeah. very wise. Yeah. He's got a lot of pain in him. A lot of pain. I'm curious yeah. to yeah. see what his generation, because we're a different generation. True. True point. You know, True that's point. the only reason I was trying to. It could have been yeah. any politician. I wanted to see because they they come from a very a different type of nationalism. Totally. I think. Totally. I mean, I'm not saying that we're not national. No, 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 no. You know what I mean? No, no, I know what you mean. They have a different type of perspective on things, and I will listen to a man like that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I, and, and I thought you were really sensitive with how you handled him. Because that that yeah. was that was powerful for me just sitting here, right? And to see him tear up suddenly and just the wince on his face. I obviously didn't mean to. No, no, no. But you had to ask it. But yeah. I had to, yeah. and it's almost like you saw him the wince on his face, and he teared up. But you almost saw a little bit of relief coming out of him yeah. too. It's cathartic. Yeah, that's so, right. So. I kind of hope we help, and obviously we thank him for everything that he's done for the country, right? And, like, and again, that's I can't even imagine. You you want him to know, God damn, your service mattered. It, well, you know, that's to, the to, thing. To think like, that it was pointless. Like, you, you, boy, if, if there's if we can do any good, but to alleviate that and go, hey man, trust me, you did good. The last there, thing we want, if for any war, for any conflict, for anything going on, right, is to be 75 years old yeah. and to hear for the first time. Yeah. Your war mattered. You mattered. You this, you that. 100%. You, you, that's the last thing we want. And um, he seemed like a happy guy. He seemed like, you, you know what I mean? 
but I don't want you or Iman at 75 years old to be sitting at a bar with a group of youngsters to be the first time that they come out with it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, hey, who are you? (laughs) What's up, brother? How are you doing? uh, So I I met Dave through another friend. Yeah. Um, He runs 22 Mohawks. Uh, He's another veteran. Um, And uh, Dave, just go into kind of your background um, and and why you started 22 Mohawks. Yeah, so I got out of the Army in 2016, August 1. Yeah. and went right to college, finished up my degree, uh, went into finance. But over those the past few years, I started getting calls of people who just killed themselves. You know, wow. vets that I served with. Um, and it was two years ago, I got three calls in one month of friends who I fought with overseas that took their own lives. One of them hit kind of hard because this one guy was injured and he was a specialist in the army. So like younger guys who are like lower rank and you guys are vets, you know, they're broke dicks, right? So yeah. they get crapped on by you know senior people so I took him under my wing because I had ended up I hurt my back so I was in ops took this guy under my wing he was like you know Sergeant Camp this really sucks like I'm broken and you know I just I just want to get out of the army and be left alone yeah so I was in 18 months every day I get out find out that this kid killed himself and I'm like damn I'm like he was I was with him every day and then I just pieced out of the army and was like forgot about the dude Many of like t- killing himself, had a wife, couple kids. Yeah. And it, it just hit me hard. I was like, man, I'm like, um, I gotta do something. So started 22 Mohawks. The idea was basically, you know, like the um, ice bucket challenge. So, like, yeah. the, sure. The ALS, sure. Right? Yeah, sure. So we go, I'll do a Mohawk challenge, right? Dave Campesano will donate 100 bucks per Mohawk that people put together and donate to Mission 22, right? Sure enough, got 22 Mohawks in like two weeks. Like kids were, uh, people were posting with their kids, awesome. um, sending all these Mohawks. Yeah, yeah, it was really totally. cool. So yeah, I'm like, yeah. Shit. All right. Well, there's 2200 bucks. So this is my good deed as as Dave, right? I think but it then, should only be 50 bucks for a kid's Mohawk. <laughs> that, that seems like an easy out. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Save yeah. my, my pocketbook, right? out for a mohawk. I don't know. Well, so you were the mohawk. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But actually, some girls did it, too, and they, like, spiked their head up, their oh, hair that's up. Cool. Pretty, that's cool. That's pretty far yeah. out. That's um, 300 bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Making it up for the kids. Yeah. Um, but so it, like, took off, and a lot of people started liking it. So I was like, you know, I'll put, put together some T-shirts. Maybe I'll get some more money, and I'll just I'll donate all the money to Mission 22. You know the big Mission 22? Everybody knows Mission 22. Yeah. And then I just started getting all these calls from people recently about, you know, at this thing in Afghanistan, that whole debacle. And people were like, hey, do you know anyone that can get dogs? So I'm like, no. I'm like, I know it's a two-year rate to get dogs. So I partnered up with this local um, dog center called... Uh, uh, pausability, Operation Pausability. So now we have an application for them to get veterans emotional support dogs. We funded, wow. um, wow. uh, blasted on our website. As soon as the website was up, people just started donating. Um, we just started bringing in funds. So now we like have money to do stuff. So before that, rewind, I started a, um, a jump, a parachute jump. Every Labor Day, Sweet. we have, it's 10 vets. So you put your name in throughout the year and then Two weeks before the jump, I call everybody's names, they get picked, and then they can go do a tandem jump on the house for us. And then after, we do food and DJ. And we did that in Orange at Jumptown Skydive in Orange. And like 30 people signed up. So I just kept calling names. Instead of stopping at 10 names, I just called everybody's names. So I'm like, you know what? Bring it all in. 
We'll have everybody jump. All these people came. Like, people flew in from, like, West Virginia and Arizona just to, like, get on the jump. I'm like, this is cool. Yeah. Right? Like, people are actually, like, enjoying this. And, and Mohawks are cool, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, yeah, it's awesome. are cool, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like one of those things in the military, yeah, you're not allowed to have Mohawks. Now, you can't, now you're a veteran. Yeah, let's, let's do a Mohawk. Let's do a Mohawk, right? <laughs> Let's grow a beard and do a Mohawk. <laughs> exactly. Right? I, think, I think the last people that have Mohawks and jump out of planes was on D-Day, right? So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's been a minute, yeah. So I posted about those guys. The filthy 13. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, they're like face painting each other. Yeah. You know? yeah. Awesome. awesome. Those yeah. dudes are studs. Um, so, so that happened. Yeah, so people just flew in and then we were like, hey, you know what we're going to do? Um, this push, one for 22. So, one mile every day for 22 days in September because September is Suicide Awareness Month. And I'm like, whatever, it'll be like local people. Maybe they'll buy, you know, buy a t shirt. Like, don't donate, no donations or anything, just buy a t shirt right. and support the cause. People in um, Vegas, people in Oklahoma, Wisconsin, all these people that I never even knew, like, started posting, like, with their wives and, like, pushing for 22 Mohawks. It was just, like, Badass. really cool. That's, That's awesome. Like, yeah. All right, cool. Like, we're wow. just, like, this little people out here in, like, Boston, like, yeah, just yeah, doing yeah, our own right. thing. And, like, people across the country are, like, getting involved. Um, so, I don't know. The goal is to, you know, just, like, provide dogs, have these, like, big events that people, like, enjoy, um, and do, like, our own thing. Like, we're not trying to, like, be, like, these big corporate... You know, Mission 22, which are great. They're great. Yeah, right, We're not right. trying to be that. We're not right. trying to be like this merchandise house. We want to just like bring vets together, bring families together, and just let everybody know that we're there for them. Sure. Um, like this. Like this is perfect, right? Yeah. Like get guys with like minds. Like I feel like just us four, like we get along right away. Like right. we all right. share the same sentiment about same all this mindset. stuff. We just want to help yeah. each other out. Um, and you know, it's like you go overseas, you know, you, you hand out some dirt naps to some people that, that deserve it. And then you come home, and, like, that same mindset that worked overseas doesn't work at home anymore, right? So it's like, let's go kill some dudes, come home, and then we'll hug it out. Like, it's cool, man. Like, let's have a beer. I, I remember that same story. Like, it's cool to, it's cool to be upset sometimes. Like, right. We're not mad at you because we all feel the same way. So that's kind of, like, what, what we're trying to do, you know? Have you seen requests go up since Afghanistan for dogs? Yes. <laughs> So you've seen a spike. Big time. Yeah. Big time. My phone after that, like, initial week of the Afghanistan debacle yeah. was blowing up. Like, sergeant majors in the Army who, like, I knew that when they were, like, sergeants yeah. were calling me, like, dude, like, what's going on? Just, like, and to me, like, the position that I put myself in, like, obviously I'm not a clinician or, like, a psychologist, but, like... Sure. These calls are reach-outs. They're not suicide notes. They're just a little reach-outs. They're definitely right, right, reach-outs. Yeah, right. like, hey, let's have this chit-chat. Let's talk about but, it. But that's the thing, Dave. Like, me and you, when, when we first met and, and talked about it, we were saying that, yeah, we don't have to be clinicians. It's because we were there. We right. know what, what it's like, and we, we get the feeling. And I think other veterans, when they call us, they know that. And they feel better talking to us, guys, like, you know, veterans, uh, like-minded veterans, just like with this event, vet to vet. It was just, it's like-minded veterans talking it out and discussing how we feel about certain stuff. And especially after, uh, like, you, like Chris, like all of us who've been overseas, our phones got blown up after the fall of Afghanistan. And it was it was something like, holy crap. Like, all of us felt it. Every single veteran felt it. That we were just put in a position that we never thought we were going to get into. Right. You know, and, and, and it, it hurt us. 
it also it, you know infuriated us but at the same time us as combat vets we also had to be also a voice of reason for other veterans, other active duty members, to be like, hey, listen, all right, let's 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 work this out. Let's figure out what, you know, how to navigate this this feeling that we have. You know, so th- that's that's the biggest thing. Like, uh, I remember me and you talking about it. It was, it was quite the conversation me and you had about it. Yeah, no, and I, I completely agree. You know, and you have these conversations with people, and some people are, like, way worse than others, and it's like a differentiator between like hey we're just having an understanding conversation no judgment but then there's like the treatment side like do you, do you need treatment like do you want to like talk to somebody who's actually like a pro or do you just want to bring it out and talk about you know ranger games right <laughs> um but yeah uh it's i don't know I, i'm hoping that it, it does make a big change you know and i feel like after meeting you i feel like we're, we're in the up and up as a, as a group um so how are you doing um, you know what? It's funny. So, like, I, I, that question, you know, so many people reach out, yeah. but no one really ever asked that question. And it's, yeah. it took to, like, people like us, though, like, they see, like, oh, well, that's the strong person, right? Right. But right. there's a reason why we do this, because right. we've been in the shower in the fetal position before. Yeah. Like, right. we know what it's about. So, like, it gives me the chills when you ask me that, because I'm like, damn, I don't even know how to answer that, because I've been, like, you know, talking to other people about it the whole time, asking that question back to people, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's tough for me, too. And, and hearing people's stories and, and, and relating and having my own, like, memories of the things that I've experienced, it's, it's a heavy load to, to, you know, handle, like, listening to other people, right? Um, so we have a platform with this show. People don't know about you. You have an opportunity to plug them. I'm going to plug the shit out of everything on on our episodes, on our website. We're going we're gonna to get—do we have them on the website yet? We'll get them. We'll get them yeah, on the no, website. We'll, we'll get them on the website. Same thing with, Same thing with Havoc. Havoc. Yeah. All that stuff. We're going to plug the shit out of it. You have an audience of about 10,000 people right now. A lot of veterans. Tell them what you want to tell them. You know, I think I think kind of like I said before, it's like um, we, we go overseas. We do a job that most people don't want to do, a, di- a pretty dirty job, right? And we experience things. And we come home, and it's the stigma, right? It's like, oh, you have PTSD now, right? But hmm. it's not a... The things we experience and the way we handle it when we come back, it's not a disorder, right? It's a scar that we have. Right. That, you know, it's not going to, like, own our lives. Like, we have groups of people together that, you know, if we come together, we can we can get through it all. Um, and I just think the biggest thing is, is when we come home, we can't be afraid to ask, you know, do a reach-out. Call me up. Call anybody up. It's, you know. I, I think there's something worth saying, you know, and I don't know why my mind went to this, but the presidents of the United States have a club. Right. And they've always, and like George W. Bush has been big about saying, hey, Obama, when you're out of office, give me a call. Right. Because I'm the only dude that's going to understand what you've just been through. Yeah. Well, vets have the same thing. And I say that to say, it's not a stigma to have memories of war and to have a takeaway from war. It, anybody would. People who won the Super Bowl together are going to have a shared experience and a common understanding that's going to need to be unpacked a little bit. Right. And hey, you remember what those groupies did? You remember how it ruined your marriage? Okay, right. That was just trivial compared to war. But at the same time, it's like, hey, that's an experience that I'll never have, yeah. I don't think, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, But it's the same thing for vets. So there's nothing... 
there's nothing traumatic necessarily about saying, hey, we got to come together and talk, not because there's something wrong with us, but because we have an incredibly unique experience that not many others are going to relate to. So I can't just go talk about this with some new buddy I made or some guy I just met at work. It's I'm going to need somebody who maybe I've known for five minutes, but because there's a common operating picture that we both have, we can have a common ground to start from and have a dialogue about. Absolutely. It's kind of like going to the wrong psychologist. It's going to a psychologist yeah. that has nothing to, to learn about any of these things. It, it's, you know, going to a mechanic to fix your fucking fridge. Yeah. Type of shit. Yeah. Here's the thing, like, Dave, when, when we first met, you know, we, we, we hung out at Lewis's and, and we were, you know, between you and me just talking shit out, it was like we had so many common things as, as combat vets and we shared the same mission, we shared the same mission, we shared the same feelings and everything. Yeah. And it was, it was like one of those things like, dude, we are in this together. Like, no matter whether you were in Afghanistan or one, Iraq in 03, Iraq in 2011, Afghanistan 2012, we all shared that same, you know, we spilled the same mud, same blood in the same mud. Yeah. And we get it. You know, and then that's the thing, like, you know, with all our, our listeners and all of, all of our supporters, biggest thing is, you know, Email us, send us, sure. you know, like let us know, you know, Project Sapien 2020 at gmail.com. Like, there's a reason why we put that out there because we see the emails, we see the messages that come to us about veterans hurting or law enforcement hurting, knowing across the country that the warrior class in, in our country is in pain. Yeah. Seeing yeah. the way things are happening, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's the thing, we're all in this together. Yep. No matter what. And and that's the message, like, you know, us as Project Sapien, we try to put out is we're all in this together. Totally. And the, the other thing I want to put out there, right, there's nothing wrong with being in this together. There's nothing wrong with being in this shit together. How many times, Iman, have I called you on shit that I needed to fucking get out? And I have no shame in it. And I would hope that anybody at this table has zero shame in fucking reaching out to me. You know what I mean? There's no shame in any of this, guys. It's a unique set of experiences, and we have to acknowledge that it's unique. So there's not a lot of people that are going to relate. It just happens to be rare, you know? I, to be, and, and that's why I say, like, you can find trivial things that are unique that people share also and that have to talk things out and unpack it a little bit. Yep. Uh, the hangover. Hey, we all got ripped and we blacked out. Now we got to come here and go, what the hell happened last night? Right. That's not a conversation they can have with anybody. Right. My point simply being, that's right. There's no shame. There's no stigma in it. It's just acknowledging that this is a very rare set of circumstances. And, it, and what does make it unique is we don't even have to know each other. That we can all come together, as I'm in said, from a 20-year span and sometimes even more, like with Ray, who's from the Vietnam era. And there is, I saw a great picture the other day. I mean, and great by great, I mean, memorable. Uh, not it doesn't necessarily commemorate something great, but it was a picture with uh, North American Rescue that they put out. That, and I think those guys were PJs. Um, and they took a picture of one of their buddies who was a PJ, and he was talking about how they were running uh, rescue missions on vehicles for a 20-hour stretch. And he took a picture of his buddy right after they've been doing it for 20 hours and we're about to go back out again. And he's like, we were getting our butts kicked the whole time and everybody else that we were that we were with had bugged out. So it's just down to him and me at this point. And he took a picture of the guy and the guy's just sitting there holding his M4, staring, and he said, this is a warrior 
trying to find his courage and realizing this is it. And the guy made it, and he came out successful and all that. That's an incredibly rare experience, yet it unifies you with people going back to the fucking Roman legions and before. Yeah. Where that life and death moment of, holy crap, am I really about to do this? And all the things you've seen movies about, all the things you've seen TV shows about, all that stuff has now come to this chrysalis moment of, fuck, it's just me and reality, and that's all it is. That's an incredibly rare, precious thing, and it's something, and I'm, I'm, I hope I, this parallel comes off okay. It's kind of like talking about losing your virginity. It's not the <laughs> conversation you're going to have with just anybody. Yeah. You, you better have that with the right person at the right time in the right context. Well, that's kind of it, and that's why it doesn't make sense for us to talk about it, and we don't feel comfortable talking about it with people who maybe can't relate, because this is a pretty personal thing and a pretty rare thing, and if we're going to breathe the same air and have that conversation, it has to be with the right people that are going to get it and understand that terrain. <laughs> Sorry, there's no question in that. I'm just... I'm just thinking it through out loud yeah, so, no, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely yeah you know the funny thing is i think is every time someone called me 10 out of 10 times the conversation was hey man how are you they would talk for an hour and then it would be hey you know we'll talk again we'll talk again soon like, right after 99% of the time i didn't say anything after that it was right. just them spilling the beans or whatever however they and you knew that that's to listen. you yeah. knew that's what the person wanted that's it that's all they needed well, that, right. that's what i found is is guys just you know guys and gals and uh, as veterans they just need to be able to talk to somebody who's been there and that's it and and it, it could it it, it 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 walks them off the ledge you know yeah. it, it's amazing to me that the power of the veteran community where when somebody actually makes that phone call reaches out before they end up another statistic as a suicide where they reach out to one of us or any other veteran or battle buddy whatever it is they reach out and just that 10 minute phone call just got them off the ledge well, that's what it is. And, and guys need to realize this. They, they can call any one of us or any one of these support groups or anything, and then you don't have to tell me your experience. Talk to me about fucking the wrong color underwear that you're wearing. I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. You have a friend, and that's what people don't realize is that we're in this together. We're in this as human beings. Aside from war, aside from policing, aside from anything, a friend to me means I can call them about anything. It doesn't have to be specific. Am I wrong? No, no. you're not. And I don't want to step on Nate's pitch because this is important, but I want to dovetail with it because what you're saying, um, some I can relate to a lot, and at... Savage Wonder, which is the literary blog for the Veterans Repertory Theater that is the nonprofit that I run, uh, we've been taking poets and poetry coming in from vets. And I'll say something, I, I never wrote poetry before. I started doing it because I saw how many submissions we were getting from people writing it. And I'll say there's something powerful. So even if you don't talk to somebody, put your thoughts down. There's something about the free form of poetry where it doesn't have to rhyme. You don't have to be grammatically right. correct sometimes. Yeah. Your punctuation, who gives a shit? But write whatever the fuck is on your mind. And for a lot of these guys, what's amazing, how much shit they write about breakups they're having. How much shit they write about the girl back in high school. How much shit they write about a girl that they just saw on the train two days ago. Yep. But what is it really about? Well, it's about, man, I needed to unpack something. Yep. And there's something inside me. And even that stuff that's not 
superficially related to war or to their military service, it's colored by it, and it's something they needed to get out. And it's and I highly encourage it. And I, again, I'm not, I don't want to step on Nate's thing, but just to say, savagewonder.substack.com. Submit your shit if you have some something that you want to write creatively, because that is powerful. And I will tell you, I have very famous playwrights that subscribe to it, very famous writers and showbiz people. And the very first, we just launched this a week, ten days ago, and the very first bit of feedback I got is they said, holy crap, they're like, I just realized how rarely we actually hear from veterans. We hear about veterans, we hear about maybe newsworthy stuff, some of them write punditry, hey, Trump was awesome or an asshole or Biden was awesome or an asshole, but rarely do we actually hear about their own experience undistilled about how war is actually impacting them. And a lot of people with very good bullshit radars that actually no literary content go, holy crap, man, what you guys are saying is important and needs to be heard, and our subscriptions are growing because of it. So again, not to plug myself, but just to say, as an outlet for veterans, yeah, this is another way that you don't have to, you can be as anti-social as you want. Sit in the cabin, drink your fifth of bean, write something fucking down. I promise, for me personally, I wrote like 10 lines of a poem that I'll never show anybody. Motherfucker did a lot for me. Yeah. And I'll just share that. Yeah, I, I, you know Huge. what's funny about that is just the uh, the thought about the relationship with a girl, like a past girl. Uh, how do you think that that like relates to like combat and war? Do you think it doesn't or it doesn't? A hundred percent. Because you know, and, and I, it's funny. I, I think there's we could do a whole show just on that alone. Yeah. For for guys especially, I think for what guys take away from women and war is. A symbiotic relationship. A lot of guys, because what are you aspiring to when you join? A lot of times it's the myth, right? Well, what's the? Why are you going for that myth? What's the machismo? What's the maybe sometimes insecurity that you're trying to that you're trying to alleviate? It's for women. Like I was raised on Steven Seagal movies, right? Oh yeah, yes. Who doesn't want to be that guy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I am. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. Want to be that guy? Yeah, I, I am. That guy. I am that guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, but but I mean, and it's funny because when that reality hits, where you realize, and I, I've actually said this to my wife, and, and she then hits me over the head with a shovel. But um, but I've said, you know, women don't want Steven Seagal. They want the guy that's just around. They don't want necessarily the guy that's out there and that crushing reality of, oh, shit, but I was doing this for the women. I was doing this for, you know, for, like, that glory and that honor. And then you go, okay, well, it better fucking be about something else. There better be something else going on. But there, you're right. There's a real poetic part of that. And this goes back to Robin Hood. I mean, Will, Will Scarlet, he was doing all that stuff for women, right? He was heartbroken and going around robbing people, robbing the rich because you want to impress the chicks. Listen, I think there's a, it's a rich subject matter. It's a lot of rich material. And that's something that people would do well to reckon with and fucking monetize that shit. Get it down in writing. Yeah. Not only monetize yeah. it totally commercially, but like get it out of your soul, man. Expunge yeah. that because there's some rich material there. And you'll be surprised as to how many people see it and use it for themselves internally, too. Oh, absolutely. Like, ever since writing, uh, you know, for Habit Journal and... I can tell it, doing it being ther- therapeutic. I can tell from doing our show. Yes. I can tell when you're writing. You guys know how our show is done. We basically break down your articles. I can tell how much you actually released during our episodes. Yeah. I yeah. can tell how much you released while you were writing it. Yep. I can tell how much you released while we were talking about it. Sometimes I ask, and I'm being honest. Sometimes I ask stupid questions just to get it out of you. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, that, that's the thing, and and. Uh, you know, uh, 
you know, I keep plugging Havoc Journal over and over again, but but that's the thing. They give, again, one of their models is giving a voice to the veteran community. That's yeah. what they do. Yeah. And that's what Charlie, you know, when he created it, that was the thing, is our, we needed a voice as, as veterans, as, as war, the warrior class needed a voice to be out there. And he provided that, you know. So, so I mean, I've met so many veterans through Havoc Journal, active duty and even veterans. Just that share that mindset, that warrior mindset, that warrior class, and it also is, is, is you know the therapeutic part is all right. I'm not the only one who feels this way, you know. I'm not the only one who's pissed off about this, or I'm not the only one who experienced this, you know. So, so like when me and you, you know, me, me and Dave met uh, with with you know Toy to Mohawk, I'm like fucking a. That's exactly how I feel, <laughs> you know. I know. So yeah. it, I mean, it helps. Did I, you know? did I keep saying? Did I keep saying Nate? Yeah, I think. I'm an asshole. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna let you keep going. Yeah, no, See what he's, he's gonna call you Bruce yeah, in about yeah, a minute. Yeah, we'll cycle else, through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, John. <laughs> I blame it on the Jamesons. There you go. Blame it on Jameson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 If I take one thing from from sitting here right now, it's that I'm, I have, there's a poet in me about uh, that girl from eighth grade that I never talked to. Write it out, bro. <laughs> listen, I'm I, dead serious. I, that like listen, resonated with me. So you know what? SavageWonder.substack.com. I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, and I, because I do think there's a, there is so much there. And especially to actually have had the warrior experience and now be able to have that wisdom and look back, I think it unpacks a lot. And I'll tell you something else. I think it unpacks a lot for masculinity, which is a whole other subject. Yep. But man, whether it's people worried about toxic masculinity or what does it mean to be a man? And obviously women and, and female vets have their own experience as well. I've just never been a woman, so I can't speak to it. But, Giggity. Uh, yeah. Um, but my point being, but for, for men, I, I think there's a lot for the young guys that maybe are in high school who are trying to find what does it mean to be a man? There's a lot that older warriors can impart to them, and I think that's worthwhile. Definitely. What is it? What is it for you? I'm, I'm, I'm going to put this back on you because you have a, you have a unique gift to bring up subjects and then dodge the uh, the, the the questions of them. But what for you? What what is it meant? What what is that? What, what is it? What does it mean to be a man and a warrior, and how that's impacted with women and relationships? Be, before you answer, Dave, just so you know, Chris asks these questions and by the time I'm done with him after an interview I'm drooling like, 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 dude you just tapped like I just went into factory reset after your questions control alt delete control alt delete yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I just system shut down um, <laughs> um, god this will be the only one I'll, I'll just let you I'll let you filibuster as much as you want on this what does it mean to be a man and be a warrior and be a warrior and, and specifically how that's impacted your relations with the opposite sex. When you experience something in your life, um, you owe it to the rest of the people to be there for them. Your service doesn't end when, you, when your uniform comes off, right? So that's what it means to be a man. You recognize that you've experienced something that most people haven't. And the people that have, have experienced that, you need to be a man and be there for those people, even in their weakest moment. And you need to recognize that for them. As far as... Um, um, what was the next part of it? Women. Women. So I'm a father now. I have a daughter. Mm -hmm. So I feel like teaching her those same values is extremely important. Um, so she knows what type of man to look to yep. in the future. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and here, I'll ask one other variation on this, if you don't mind. So you go to a movie now. 
and you see Denzel or uh, who's the, the kid that just shot that, that thing on Netflix. Anyway, Chris Hemsworth, somebody like that. And you go see one of their movies, and oh my God, they're killing people, they're covered in blood, sweat, tears, and they get this super hot supermodel at the end of it and all that. <laughs> Do you still watch those movies the same way, or does, do you now look at it and go, "There's, there's a real, there's some true warrior moments that you're missing, and there's some true impact of what it means to be a warrior that you're missing that you're coding over superficially that uh, that that it just turns you off to it and makes you kind of numb to it." The biggest thing I recognized while like being deployed and being in training all the time was that I was never around. I was never around yeah. women. I was yeah. always like in uniform, yep. like training to, you know, lay waste. Yeah. Right. So like when I see stuff like that, I'm like, that's not true. Because if that guy had that woman, he just he would be gone all the time, anyways. Right. Just, right. 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 You know. Right. So that yeah. was my that's my initial gut reaction to that. Do question. you watch those movies the same way though now, or, um, or do they still meet? Or do you just kind of like, eh, whatever? It's or are they standing. just entertainment to you? Yeah. They just I, you know I watch romantic movies now. Really? No shit. Why? Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's... <laughs> good. No, fuck. It is what it is. I'll write some poetry about it. <laughs> That'd be good. There you go. Yeah. That'd be good. Dude, be listen. Thank you, brother. Yeah, Thank you for your service. Here, right? I really appreciate it. I it's a pleasure. We're going we're yeah. to plug the shit out of everything yeah. that's 22 Mohawk. We're going to get everything on the website. Everything. We're going to mention you just about every every recording that we do. So, okay. um, thank you I hope very this was, much. Uh, you know, helpful. Or no, helpful absolutely, dude. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so hey, much, Dave. Thanks, dude. You're, you're the man. Fucking love you, bro. With what you, you do, and you. Uh, and do. We'll we'll keep trucking on. You know, cool. we'll we'll get the word out there. We'll get the message out there. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Thanks again, guys. I appreciate it. A- admittedly, I thought Nate was a better guest, but but you did great. You <laughs> thank really you. Did. Yeah, yeah, I came in the end for the uh, real thing. You know. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. So who who we have next is uh, an organization called Joint Operation. So uh, if you want to get on uh, there and if you want to introduce yourself, let us know what it is you do, uh, where you've been as a veteran, uh, what branch, and and, go from there. And then we'll we'll, we'll kick it off from there. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So my name is Bill Duggan. Um, I'm a retired police officer. I worked for 20 years. I'm also a veteran. I deployed to Afghanistan. My uh, friend of mine, who is an uh, entrepreneur and he's um, heavily invested in the cannabis, he asked me, he said, do you want to open up a dispensary? Do you want to do a veteran-owned dispensary? Cool. And we want to um, give back to the veteran community and, and then focus on how cannabis can help with PTSD and all the effects of PTSD and on how it's affecting the therapeutic the, uh, aspects of yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Are, are you a, a dealer or a user? <laughs> or both? Deny, 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 deny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so... What, what was your appeal with cannabis? Were you naturally... Do, were you already thinking, hey, that's an interesting industry and it's burgeoning and all that so, now? Or You know where it came from? Something? So my dad... So I was, a, I was a cop for 20 years. And my dad was a cop way back in the 70s. And he, like, flip-flopped because my mom had MS, multiple sclerosis, and she started using cannabis. And they went to all these um, lectures with doctors and stuff, and and it turned her on to the effects of cannabis. And she essentially got all off of all of her medications. Yeah, I have, not to bring it on me, but there's plenty of stories. I have somebody very close to me 
who, and, and me personally, I've never done a drug in my life. Aside from cigars and alcohol, I've never done a drug in my life. Love cigars. I, I actually can't wait once they federalize it and I can start doing, like, gummies and stuff, right? Yeah. And, and this is why I say that. I people that are close to me, one person had MS, the other person had insomnia, all kinds of issues that for 20 years couldn't be helped. And one had PTSD. It couldn't be helped. Sure. And once they were introduced the right way to cannabis, to all kinds of different things with cannabis, Absolutely. their lives started changing. Yeah, I, I have a friend of mine that sleeps eight hours a night and a year ago would get one hour a week. Yeah. Like, I've heard that so many times. Like, all my friends with PTSD, they're like, it helps us. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a substitute of the medications that sure. they really don't want to take. My mom says she has these, like, candies and lollipops. She's like, I take a lollipop and it helps me sleep. She's off the medications. It helps her MS. My dad, who's this, like, redheaded Irishman, used to get treated for uh, skin cancer. Yep. And uh, he used to get zapped with skin, skin cancer all the time. Now he's using the cannabis oils. Yeah. And uh, that's completely helping. Is that the CBD? So, CBD stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how do you feel? I mean, I haven't been in law enforcement for 20 years. How do you feel then about the casual user? Yeah, so funny. I used to talk to my dad. He's like, yeah, when I was in the 70s. We used to, like, see a roach in the ashtray, and we'd lock people up. And he goes, now I'm just, like, using it. Yeah, so, right, right. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's different. So I have this theory of um, they always say it's the uh, gateway drug. Yeah. And I said, it's not the gateway drug because it was because when it was illegal, kids had to go to the underworld of the drug world yep. to find the find the, the marijuana. Yep. It's like alcohol. Like so now that it's illegal, they don't have to be exposed to that. To the underworld. Yeah, to where these drug dealers doing stuff. And then they get they buy say they buy some pie. But now they're gonna be like, hey, why don't you try this and try that? Right. So it's different. To them it's a business, right? That yeah. whole underworld. They're yeah. gonna try and push whatever they can. Yeah. The reason I, I love it so much is because I've seen how it's helped so many of my loved ones, mm-hmm. people very close to me. Right. I think it would help me personally. Yeah. I think it would help me. But it's also, especially in this state, how controlled it is. From the grow to the sell to everything in between, it's very controlled. Sure. It's not shit product that you're putting in your body. Oh, not absolutely. So I was just talking to uh, my partner today, and he was like, it's so regulated that, like, it's not the stuff that you buy from your buddy off the street. Exactly. That stuff has, like, pesticides in it and all this crazy stuff. And who knows? This stuff is all all lab, like, tested. You can't mess around with it. I tell you, I've been so anti-drug, even marijuana, my entire life. Yep. But be- becoming regulated, becoming so controlled, I would do it. Yeah. I would do it to see if it would help me. And I really think, from my personal experiences, from my friends to the really close people, I think it would help me tremendously. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm learning that it really helps, Like, it, and it depends on what you want. You know, so if you, like, have trouble sleeping or you want right. to relax or whatever the, whatever the case may be, um, they can... The, the bud tenders, when, like, yep. so they're like wine. It's like wine, you know. Sommeliers, like, they, basically. Yeah, they're going there, like they <laughs> yep. direct you on what you want, what yep. you need, and it really is a medication, as far as I'm concerned. The you know? first time I went in for a cousin of mine, I went in and I bought some for them, and I told the the sommelier basically, <laughs> I said what was going on, right. and they're like, "Gotcha, yeah. don't worry." 
and I had the person try it. And again, they're not popping it, you know, 20 hours a day. You know, she takes it to go to sleep. She takes it to fucking mellow out. And I'm like, and then she wakes up a completely different person. And you're like, holy shit. (laughs) So this works. Let me me throw this back at you guys, because I'm probably... I might be. I don't want to presume, but I might be the most marijuana skeptical. Yeah. I can see the medical benefits, and I, I can I can sign off on that and go, yeah, got it. Glaucoma patients, people with MS, people in sure. chronic pain, got it. Like, I can absolutely buy into that. My problem is a, as a city kid, as a New Yorker, is that um, and, and I'm not saying anything you guys didn't haven't seen in your own lines of work, but I'm thinking of the kids in the projects their parents might be religious might say hey stay away from pot stay away from drugs don't do that stuff now god damn it white people you just went ahead and legalized marijuana because everybody watched pineapple express (laughs) and now next thing you know uh these these poor parents that are trying to raise their kid right have to compete with yet another substance to keep their kid away from that now has no laws no laws uh you know that's totally legal and yet is another nefarious uh substance out there Show me where I'm. Where I, what am I missing? So, so, when I, what, so can I I'll bounce back to that? Please. So that gateway drug thing. Yeah. It's like alcohol, right? Alcohol is legalized. Sure. It's regulated. Hundred percent. You have to be the age. You have to go through. You know, you can't just go down by the, right. the young kids. It's kept from. Obviously, there's exceptions to that. They right. get it. But um, like back to my whole thing, that gateway drug. When it's illegal, they go to. People they, they don't want to hang around with, yep. and they're exposed to that because they're trying to get it, le- you know, get, trying right. to get it illegally. Right. So that's the problem with I, it. I, I guess so. My my thought to that. So let me shift coasts. When I lived in L.A. and they and marijuana became legal, and they or for medical marijuana, and they started opening up dispensaries right on Sunset Boulevard, it was easy to tell that property values went down very, very quickly. And a lot of sh- a lot of shitbags started hanging out around there. Now, again, this is inner city stuff, and it's not like your dispensary, which sounds like it is, you know, you have these sommelier types that are yeah, there yeah. And, and curating your content and all that. But the issue then being... Again, I stipulate medical marijuana, bitching down for the down for the cause. But for the casual user, I, I guess I and I'm just voicing this for for those out there that might also feel the same way. Tell me on that. What, what, He's going to be biased on it because here? it's his business. Totally. <laughs> totally. Well, I'm just going to keep going yeah. back to you know, like yeah. it's like alcohol, you know. Um, so yeah. do we need another one? Do we need another yet another substance that we have to yeah. go, guys? Enough in moderation. Like, I, th- that's my only fear. I'll give you my opinion. Please. My opinion is. People are always going to do stupid shit with legal stuff, right? They're always going to do stupid shit with booze. They're as as much as I would never walk around high and I would never drive high. Right. I would never drive drunk. They're still going to do it, right? Whether it's legal or not. There's people that I've pulled over that are on heroin. It's up to the individual, right? So the kids in the inner city, they're going to do whatever the fuck they want. That's the reality of it. When weed wasn't legal, there was a lot of weed in the streets. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm just saying that from... I'm trying to be I'm as worried, realistic. I worry about the prevalence, I guess is what I'm saying. Just It's, it's another... So here, here's where I normally hear it. Yep. I normally hear it from people that are anti-smokers. Right. They talk about They're very anti-smoking, but they're very pro-pot. And I'm like... Really? Well, pick, pick your lane, man. Like, like, and, and, and that's where I kind of go, 
do we need more of that? And and again, I, I, sound I get like it. Picking a fight, brother, and I'm I'm, yeah. I'm not like bitching. And you're doing everything that a good enterprising businessman should be Absolutely. doing sure. to like may, you know make a living. So I'm not trying to rain on the parade, but I am trying to voice just what I've seen in my experience and go and trying to reconcile that. I'm trying to reconcile well, those experiences. Well, I say is, so our focus is going to be to um, so obviously to the medical side. There's all those sure. benefits. The recreational side is similar to, you know, whatever you want to compare it to. But also, so, like, I'm here tonight with the veterans. Yeah. So the PTSD thing, all the benefits that cannabis can provide to the PTSD, we're going to focus on... bringing veterans to work we're gonna we're gonna like uh, we started talking about different job opportunities about getting them into the entrepreneurial aspects of working at a, um, either the dispensary or other t- type of entrepreneurial things and also just like raising money and giving back to charities for the, for the sure, veterans sure. and, and yeah. pulling, all, pulling all that back in. that's so, awesome it's well-rounded awesome. brother yeah, yeah. it's yeah. well-rounded I yeah. love it I love it. I love the fact that it's so controlled by the state. I hope the feds turn around and do something good with it um, so that I can take it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's so few. I mean, you know, there's only a hand, handful of uh, veteran-owned dispensaries. So hopefully ours is like one of those, like, you know. In all honesty, yeah. I think you guys have a great business model. Right. Because the vets I know can't wait to do it. Yeah. And and, and I think a lot of people are going to gravitate towards it. Absolutely. So I'm being the Debbie Downer over here. You can, yeah, no, you, you, right. you, no, you're, you're invoking conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen, it, it, that question comes up all the time. I'm yeah. sure it does. The same. And, and I mean, and I'm sure, and, and that's why I want to voice it. But look, so I, know, I know you guys have hit a good niche in the market, and I'm yeah. sure you guys are going to do really right, well. Right. No, I got dude, like... Hi, Iman. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> hey, dude, I've been saying hi to so many people here. I know. It's, 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 here's the thing. It's an amazing event to have veterans come together, entrepreneurs, uh, veterans that, are re- that really understand what's going on in the veteran community, whether it's with PTSD, uh, with, with, with cannabis, with 22 Mohawks, with home base like it, it it's amazing for me to see when when we first started you know working on this vet to vet uh it, it was amazing to see how many veteran organizations just jumped on board right away and it shows the strength of the veteran organizations yes. and, and it especially showed me the strength of the veteran organizations when kabul fell and we all banded together sure. as veterans and we basically like kind of fought back the status quo to be like fuck that that's not what we're about your voices are being heard yeah exactly and And the world should refuse to not let them fucking hurt yeah exactly that's the thing and and i don't think veterans realize as, as a warrior class that we are our voices are louder than people think yeah because we really have an impact on a lot of things that happen around the world. I mean, just Pineapple Express, you know, just yeah. that operation alone. 100%. Holy I, shit. I was shocked, you know. Insane. I, I said, I was, I left Afghanistan in 2011, and I said, hey, this is cool, like, we're, I'm leaving, and, you know, we'll eventually pull out of Afghanistan. I go, but we'll never leave uh, Bagram. No, Bagram not, not an overnight right. thing like I go, that. I go, dude, this is, this is a strategical air base. And we're going to keep this forever. Yeah. And so when I heard, like, not that long ago that they're like, yeah, we just, we just rolled out overnight. And I was like, yeah. what? We just gave up Bagram? Like, that was yeah. crazy. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hello, that was stupid. Yeah. Oh, man. That actually reminds me, it's a great segue. You of all people 
boy, but great if we'd stay there for a little while longer. Because <laughs> I'd rather have you in charge of the business coming over from Afghanistan than a lot of right? people over there. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's going to be happening soon. Once it's federalized, there's going to be a lot of imports coming I think, in. I think it will be federalized. Not, I think it's in, so You know, a few years down the road. It's I, one of those things. Yeah. It's but it inevitable. Come, where, where would you get it from, though, if, if there was international trade allowed? Ah, I will tell you right now, and he will vouch for me. He knows this. It might not be prevalent in the industry yet, but uh, Kalamata, Greece. Okay. Some of the best shit yeah. ever. All right. All right, Greek mafia. All right. Okay. Let's not forget Lebanon. All right. I Lebanon like, too. I it's across the like river. Plug uh, across Greece, the river. All right. Just say we're gonna talk offline, me and you. All right. All right. I think you got an investor. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Guys, listen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to us. We're gonna. We're gonna. Thank every single person that came here. We want to thank all of our supporters, everybody that came and sponsored the event, everybody from Havoc Journal. Thank you for making us the number one law enforcement and military podcast on the planet. Hey, Pete, thanks a million, man. This was a privilege to be here. Thank you for everything that you did for us tonight. And Ivan, you want to say anything to everybody? Yeah, hey, uh, I mean, to our listeners, this event is, like, unbelievable. I, I, you know, it's one thing where last minute, one, you know, when, when Kabul fell, and I was talking to Pete, guys from having like Chris and, and Charlie, and all of a sudden, all the veteran groups that came together, yeah. to me, really showed the power of the veteran community, of how we can band together and do what's right. Absolutely. I, I feel like Batman slew Thanos, and like there's a major crossover, <laughs> cognitive dissonance. Is this Project Sapien? Is it Havoc, Weekly Havoc? Yeah. Listen, guys, this was awesome. It doesn't matter really what pleasure. it is. We're getting out there. We're getting in the voices yeah, and heads right. of law enforcement and the military. They know that there's support out there. We won't back down. That's right. Nothing is ever a problem. Reach out to Havoc. Reach out to Sapien. We're going to take care of you. That's right. 100%. Stay safe. Stay safe, guys. Bye.